Hey, welcome to Slashers and Spirits, a horror movie podcast. In this show, Kim and I show our favorite horror movies to AJ, who hated the genre until just recently. It's also tradition that we drink heavily throughout this process. I'm Aaron. I'm AJ. I'm Kim. How are we all doing today? How we, it's been, it's been, we keep having long delays in between yes. our recordings, and it's nobody's <laughs> fault, but it, it is like three weeks in between each recording lately, so it is kind of like, it's odd coming back to it, but I missed it. I miss doing this. Me too. It's very fun. I have a good time. Yeah. Kim hates it. Yeah. Facts. <laughs> Big facts. <laughs> she actually hates us and hates doing it, but she still somehow does it for I no like reason. the movies, though. Oh, that's what it is. <laughs> mm-hmm. She Do you actually dislike it? No, no, I don't. <laughs> okay, okay. Well, the thing is with Kim is you don't know. <laughs> you don't know. <laughs> like, you don't know. I have this belief that Kim wouldn't do things unless she actually likes them, but she likes to pretend that she hates everything because she thinks it makes her look cooler. First of all, I don't have to pretend to be cool because I am cool. Um, <laughs> that's just with the territory. But no, I mean, uh, the first part's true. I wouldn't do it if I didn't in some ways enjoy it. I think that's true. I think Kim would never fully admit she she loved doing anything like no, this. No, I don't think so either. Facts, I wouldn't. But she called me her best friend today. So I did I not. I it. did not she say did. that. It was true. Aaron was there. I it's said true. bestie, which is a very, you know, it's a Gen Z term. But, it's but you didn't very... say it like Gen Z says it. I very much did. you're a millennial, did. so. I... Personally, I, I thought Kim was sounded a little desperate. <laughs> I think so, too. I think she was like, God, I have no best friends. I need oh, okay. to be one of them. Mm-mm, that's not at all what was conveyed. <laughs> well, um... you know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird because I always feel like I, I, I don't. I hate having like things I that are like planned, you know, like especially on a Friday. It's like I get home on Friday, I'm like, okay, I gotta do the podcast, and the podcast is gonna take like four hours in between walking and recording. So I'm like, okay, I'm like stressed out about it, and then we start it, and I'm like, oh no, this is a blast. Like I always yeah. forget that like this is easy. Yeah, same. I think I feel the same way. It's very much like, oh, I have something to do today. I got a tattoo, and I told my tattoo artist he asked me if I was going to this event because there's like um the San Diego Pride was doing like Petco Park out at for pride and so it was like a baseball game for pride and he was like are you going to that and i was like no i was like i have my podcast like oh so you're working and in my head i was like this does not count as work like (laughs) this is me hanging out with my friends for five hours just shooting the shit and doing whatever the fuck we want i mean yeah definitely it's kind of like i mean yeah it's certainly not work you know but it is it does take effort you know yeah Yeah, and time and planning yeah yeah and convincing Kim to do it for another week. <laughs> like, please, just, just stick around for three more. Just please, please stick around. We actually pay her. We just pretend we don't. Yeah. You pay You pay her? <laughs> you do, too. <laughs> I'm the one who works in mental health. I don't make shit. Um, I realized something while we were waiting for our 10 seconds. Uh-huh. Um... And I think Are, I can you're, you're, you're referring to our 10 seconds of silence that we yes, get rid of. Yes, during our 10 seconds of silence. Yes, yes. Um, I realized something, and I I think, yeah, I'll say it because this podcast isn't going to come out for a while. So um, I realized that a few episodes ago I said that this was a bisexual podcast and that all and claiming that all three of us are bisexuals but really there's only one bisexual yes i was gonna argue i was like i was like well one of the jokes was me wait (laughs) (laughs) really it's just kim like uh, how does that feel kim it feels great like i said i'm just naturally cool and it just automatically comes to the territory what can i say 
I think being a lesbian's cool, personally. Oh, it is. It, it is a lot okay, cooler, but, like... Okay, so I am cooler than you. Thank you. Mm, I wouldn't say cooler than me, but, like, generally cool, subjectively, sure. It's cool. No, that's But cooler than me, I think... Mm-mm. Look what we're doing on a Friday night. None of us are cool. <laughs> <laughs> I, hate to, I hate to break it to you, <laughs> but... Okay, I prioritize this. I could be going out tonight. <laughs> yeah. Just to clarify. Totally. Us too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, I forgot what the other thing I was going to say was. We'll get back um, to it if you remember. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Well, how, uh, I, wow, it was a while ago now, but last time we watched American Psycho, how is that sitting with everyone? Mm. Oh, we did. That one movie was good. I liked it. It was weird. But it was good. I haven't thought a lot about it. I'm not going to lie. But I did connect. And I think I might have said this in the podcast. But there is a song I like called Psycho. And in it, they refer to the main character of American Psycho. And I didn't understand it. Like, I knew the name. But I didn't understand it until we watched that movie. So now Ooh. I fully know what the song's talking about. Hmm. That's pretty cool. I, I had to stop reading the book. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just fucking gnarly. Mm-hmm. Like, I won't go too bad into details, but they talk about, like, slicing eyeballs open and the insides yep. running like egg yolk down their faces and shit. And I was like, oh, shit, this is a lot. Is the actual <laughs> writer a psychopath, or? I don't know. But all I know is I got to the point where, like, the, uh, the like, sexual violence was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? I'm good. I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> and I kind of pulled out of the book. I couldn't. Um, But no. I've, I've thought about that. I, I guess... I see American Psycho everywhere, you know? Like, even, like, I went to Spirit Halloween the other day, and they were selling just a variety of American Psycho t-shirts. Like, it's just, it's huge. Sometimes, <laughs> I'm, sometimes I'm convinced Molly doesn't cut when we ask her to cut things. She I doesn't would know, cut. But, but it, yeah, I don't listen to the actual podcast, because I remember it all when I start to listen to it, and then it's not mm-hmm. as fun. That means you're not drinking enough. That's true. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. I think I drink the most out of the whole podcast. Pretty good. I don't know. I think I keep up. You drink They're... beer, though. Yeah, but I drink, like, 9% beers, you know? Yes, but I'm drinking vodka. Mm-hmm. But see, I get, like, fuzzy. Like, I barely remember Child's Play. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember any of them until I listen to them. <laughs> I was going to say, you just said you remember all of them. <laughs> when I listen to them, I remember it. And then I'm like, ooh, I said that. I'm not going to listen to this. That's embarrassing. <laughs> um, I got a fan letter. Oh yeah, yeah. Faris sent me a fan letter. Shout out to Faris. It was very cute. Shout um, out to Faris. I'm only a little bitter about some of the things he said. Mostly that he said Kim was funnier than me. <laughs> oh shit! <laughs> <laughs> and then he said he would tell her that, which I don't think she needs to hear that. He did um, write me a letter as well. I just wasn't gonna bring it up because. Oh, I was <laughs> kidding. Yeah, he did write me a letter though. It was very sweet. Well, are we gonna are we gonna just read the letter or give a synopsis <laughs> of it? Like, um, he thinks we should watch Twilight. No, um, he just likes our podcast. That's basically the synopsis. Um, he said Kim was funnier than me. He said, <laughs> which is savage. I'm just gonna say. <laughs> I think Kim's at her funniest when she doesn't mean to be. I do too. <laughs> <laughs> I just 
Kim hates bald people, and I still am not over it. We, we didn't, none of that made it onto the podcast. I know. We kept it. We protected her until this moment. What movie was that doing? That was doing Terrifier, right? Yeah. Yeah. There was a whole rant about how Kim hated bald people. We kept it like out of the podcast. Three. But I... <laughs> I'm just saying, if you're bald, just stay away from me. Holy <laughs> shit, she's doubling down. 100%. Like, that's why we didn't bring it up, because we knew she would double down, and we were trying to protect her. I 100% would. <laughs> I'm not going to get canceled for saying that I don't like. Yes, bald you people. are. You they can try. They you. can try. I'm not. I, that's not going to happen. I support bald people, except for Bruce Willis. <laughs> I support that statement. <laughs> that's the. I got. I have to put that one exception in there. But otherwise, I'm. I'm fine. Can we watch the Miss- pacifier? Oh my god. <laughs> I'd rather not. Thank you. <laughs> I'd also rather oh, wait, not, but Kim doesn't want to watch it. Oh, the, now we're gonna watch next it next week. <laughs> when is my pick? I have a never. List. I I think it's it's getting closer. No, <laughs> I think it should be at twenty. No, I think you have to choose a horror movie though. I already did. No, you pick. What were what were your options? What did you? What did you I didn't tell on? you guys. I sent it to Molly. Molly! <laughs> is she home? Did AJ sent you a horror movie that she wanted as a pick. Don't say the name of it, but do you agree that it's a horror movie at least? Does it pass like... Yeah, it's a horror movie. Thank you! Okay. Hi, Molly! Hi, sorry, I can barely hear you, but hello. <laughs> oh, love of my life, Molly. <laughs> so, I mean, that's enough for me, so... But not... that. I mean, still, it's, it's far away. <laughs> yeah. Okay. We, we have 13 episodes out at this point. That's exciting. This is probably like 17 or something, but we have 13 out right now. So at 20, I get to pick. No, we never agreed on a number. No, and I don't, we need to wait. Mm-hmm. Agreed. <laughs> I just love this, <laughs> this solemn sadness we left that in. Uh, what are we all drinking tonight? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kim, you go first. Um, I was drinking a boba, but now I'm drinking Corona Refresca because mm. I like them and they're kind of exclusive. I can only find them at Aldi's, so or when my roommate oh. does. I'm not gonna give myself credit where it's not due. My roommate buys them. This is the staple of, of yeah, Kim's it's one drinking. of her staples. Like Corona. Yeah, it's because it's like literally always in the fridge. <laughs> Blame her. I still am a little bitter that Kim only drinks one drink and I drink the whole whole movie and I'm on my third the beer podcast. I'm on because my third I drink, drink other liquids too like I usually have like coffee from earlier or like I was drinking boba so I can't drink that many liquids but I at least try oh, to have I one or two like drinks I love a three drink combo an alcohol a caffeine and a water yeah it's my favorite <laughs> I'm not being sarcastic <laughs> you, gotta, you gotta have your uppers with you downers uppers and downers <laughs> Um, Aaron, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Modern Times Hazy Tropical IPA. That's cool. Yeah, Sounds that's pretty fun. good. That's okay. So I, I it's had... 7 out of 10. <laughs> 7 out of 10. <laughs> I was purposely not going to say anything <laughs> to just let that silence hang to see what AJ would do. <laughs> <laughs> we can't play this mind game. I just wanted it to just stand and I'm like, please, Aaron, don't say anything. Aaron, please don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to tell you what I was drinking. What are you drinking? Okay, so I had, like, 
70% of a bottle of champagne. Mm-hmm. Um, barefoot bubbly, to be specific. And oh, then... shit, we get brand names. <laughs> Every time. I have to... I'm gonna get sponsored eventually. And then I'm drinking vodka. Uh, I'm drinking a Moscow meal now. Oh. Wow. Mixing it up. I don't think you drink the same thing consistently enough to be sponsored. If anyone's gonna be sponsored, it's gonna be Kim. Facts. At this point. <laughs> and my one well, Target hit me up. I'll do promo. I drink the same vodka. I just never mentioned the brand name of the vodka. Hmm. What is it? It's Smirnoff. Mm. I try not to drink <laughs> vodka during these because when I drink vodka, I get too drunk. But oh. I ran out of champagne. All of the podcast experiences where I'm fuzzy on what happened were whiskey ones. Like every time. Yeah. Okay, but when we record in person, you're gonna drink hard alcohol. Well, when we record in person, we're gonna get drunk, right? Like, yeah, that's we're like, gonna be that's fucking we, blasted. Like, that's gotta be a sloppy podcast. Like, Kim is gonna be drunk specifically because uh, Kim has not been drunk during fucking one of these. No, and I she haven't. Will be drunk during the time we're in person no we got it like our in-person one we got to get hammered like that's got to be it someone needs to keep us on structure molly will be there and that will be me no molly will be there and molly can keep us on a structured path but you are gonna be (laughs) hammered Uh, i don't know about that we'll see depends on the movie (laughs) well i know what movie we're gonna watch why would you know what movie we're gonna watch maybe we're gonna do this (laughs) wrap it back here already (laughs) Um, before we hit the 20 minute mark, maybe we should go into our movie. Yeah. A lot of this is going to be is gonna cut, go so fast. <laughs> we're just looping back soon. We're going to be talking about, uh, the handholding again. We're, we're real no. close to handholding. <laughs> I forgot about handholding. <laughs> Kim hasn't. Um. <laughs> it's because it's her dream. Oh, God. Okay. <laughs> So, this week was Kim's choice. Yes. Do you want to lead us into it, Kim? (laughs) So, the movie that I chose for this week is The Lost Boys, um, made in 1987, directed by Joel Schumer. Big fan of some of his work, not going to lie. He's directed other movies such as St. Elmo's Fire, Batman Forever, iconic for the Batman nipples, and Phantom yeah. of the Opera, which is one of my all-time favorite movies, and you can judge me for that, and that's totally okay. Um, R.I.P. because Joel Schumer just passed away in 2020, so R.I.P. to him. But um, great director. Schumacher. Yes, yes. Is that did I mispronounce his last name? I'm sorry, Joel Schumacher. Yeah, no, it's yes. all good. It's just I wanna before. Oh, I put I said angry. Schumer instead of Schumacher. I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. Correct me. I was my writing say, is. Isn't Schumer like a? Nickelodeon person? No, that's Dan Schneider. Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> Shit. All right, never mind. <laughs> R.I.P. As I'm saying R.I.P. and poor, poor Joel, Mr. Schumacher is now getting dragged. <laughs> Not Schneider or Schumer. R.I.P. Dan Schneider. <laughs> <laughs> Joel Schumacher. Um, yeah. Molly, edit this shit out. <laughs> no. Except for the Dan don't. Schneider part. This, this movie was directed by Dan Schneider. No, I'm so sorry. Joel the Schumacher. Anyway, we're going to put some respect on Schumacher's name because honestly, right, he's done some really great movies. And this movie, in my opinion, is one of them. Um, it stars Sam Emerson as Corey. Ha- oh, I'm so sorry. It's still- <laughs> I have been backwards on my list. 
<laughs> I thought you said you weren't drinking. Yeah, right? I wasn't, but now I feel so bad for Joel. <laughs> now I'm like, shit, how can I make up for this? All right, we'll have we'll have a moment of silence for Joel Schumacher. That's enough. Thank you. Yeah, that's enough. That's enough. Do you feel can you move on now? Yeah, we can move on now. I think I put enough respect on his name. But no, honestly though, he he's a really great director and he also is I believe if my, you know, uh, research is correct, he's also gay. Um if or <gasps> bisexual, too. but I believe that he came out um past the 80s. So I do believe he is a gay director. Um, which says a lot about this movie, in my opinion, but I also wanted to put that out there in terms of, you know, what he's kind of adding in terms of the other horror directors that we've seen. So, no, he really is great. He has a really great eye so for wait. screenplay, and I feel like he did a really good job with a lot of his She's films. She's not going to listen to me. She's just going to keep going. I have a what question. What did you say? Okay. Um, <laughs> does that make him the gayest director we've so far had or i mean i believe if i'm not wrong that he's the only gay director we've had so far is wow. that correct i believe he is the only openly gay director that we've had so far on know. this podcast there's quite a few movies we've watched that i'm not super i could like, be it could be wrong director. but um i made sure That's for this one to double check that he was actually gay um I think we need more gay directors. As the person who makes nothing to do with the movie choices, I think that we should have more gay directors. <laughs> Horror is for the gays, though. That's, like, the thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this we... movie is very um, queer in subtext, and it very much is one of those horror movies that kind of falls into um, queer context. And I think it's one of those movies that a lot of people will agree is very gay in a lot of ways. And there's been lots of writings, reports theories about this movie and i 100 percent agree I, I think this movie definitely has that sort of um lens to it as well if you want to look at it through a gay gay lens or queer lens this movie definitely fits that bill gay goggles gay goggles yeah <laughs> can i say that is that yes is that, okay <laughs> <laughs> okay so let's get into the cast real quick so we can kind of start going um it stars Corey haim as Sam Emerson, Corey Feldman as Edgar Frog, Kiefer Sutherland as David, Jason Patrick as Michael, Diane Wiest, I believe that's how you pronounce her last name, as Lucy, Jameson Newlander as Alan Frog, and then we also have, for the sake of, you know, having names throughout the, um, what we're going to be doing, like the vampire names, um, for those characters, Brooke McCarter as Paul, Billy Worth as Dwayne, Edward Herman as Max, Alex Winter as Marco, and Jamie Geitz as Star. So it I sounds prefer... like a lot of people, but I kind of want to get everyone um, in the beginning, so that way when we say names, we can kind of refer to the actors and who's who as we I go through it. I refer to Marco as only Draco Malfoy the whole time. Marco he's, does he's, not look like Draco Malfoy. He has he curly hair. He's I don't Bill care. from Bill and Ted. That's what he should be. <laughs> I think he looks like Draco Malfoy. If anyone, it would probably be like David. They both have bleached hair. Just because he has bleached hair doesn't mean he looks... I think that the face of Marco looks like Tom Felton. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Kim's not amused. Also, um, me double-checking anyway, that Tom Felton is Draco Malfoy. Yes, he oh, is. Oh, I'm right. Damn. He is. Look at me. The Harry <laughs> Potter podcast comes in clutch. It's true. 
Um, but yeah, this movie was made in 1987. It is rated R, and it is genre as a horror slash comedy, which is very what? apparent throughout the film. Um, it definitely does not take itself seriously, and it is pretty cheesy, but it is very much an 80s movie, um, which I personally love. It has both the Corys, and it has such a fucking good soundtrack. 80s music, that's all I'm going to say. Bomb as hell. I love this movie. Why and that's is it why rated I chose R? It. Uh, that's a, that's almost what I what, first. We, should we go over what our like general impressions before we we dive a little deeper? Sure, sure. Um, I'm I'm a big fan of this movie, and I was surprised to hear. I I was surprised that Kim likes this movie, and not at all surprised at the same time. It's like like half of this movie is the most Kim thing ever, and the other half I'm shocked she enjoys. <laughs> Bye. Okay, if you guys wanted to watch a vampire movie, I know about five that no. would be fantastic. But we're talking about this one. Oh, <laughs> are you sure? Because I'd rather talk about the other ones. No, um, oh, is that is that your take? No, I actually this movie was fine. It was pretty good. I liked it. I I, I didn't feel throughout the movie that that you hated it, but I, I wasn't sure if you were. Yeah, I wasn't like um obsessed with it. Mm-hmm. I, I which is kind of disappointing because I kind of like campy films. I like sillier films and um. But as to follow as we normally do, Kim's picks are normally not my favorite. So that kind of falls under this one. It's not my favorite, but it's pretty good. Hmm. <laughs> I was going to say, is Kim offended? Glad for that job that my picks are never her favorite. <laughs> well, you normally um, try to scare fine. the shit out of me. Yeah, that's, that's typically true. Yeah, but I mean, this one isn't. It's not horror in the traditional sense of, you know, there's fear and jump scare and there's not even much disturbing. There's a little bit of like what I guess could be considered gore, but not really. It's mostly prosthetic use and like blood. Um, yeah, I think I like this definitely more outside. than I like most of the picks you pick, but. Mm. I almost feel like this is damn near a kid's movie. Yes, I agree. It's like almost a kid's movie if it wasn't for the sex scene which could absolutely be cut just like the sex scene has no relevance to this movie whatsoever no. i mean like it kind of shows that like those two characters get closer but they never acknowledge it and they're not closer than they were before afterwards or anything really you know yeah um and it is like really gory at like the last 15 minutes but um not enough not... that I, I wouldn't i'd show this movie to a 12 year old pretty comfortably yeah yeah i feel like even the gore like, there was, like, one or two pieces that were, like, really cool, but, like, mostly the, when he's getting, like, holy watered, but outside of that, I don't think it's very, like, gory. Yeah. It's not a, it's not a knock at it at all. It's just, I really felt, like, the time I watched this, that this is almost, like, it's got, like, Home Alone-esque elements to yeah. it, too, you know? like. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, you know, this is an 80s movie. Uh, Not to say that that means that it has to be very, like, funny or silly or kiddish, but it it is very much, like, a late 80s movie, and it kind of falls into that same generic sort of, I would say, an antithesis to the fellow 80s movies like Sixteen Candles and all that stuff that was very popular during the time. So it has enough darkness and sexiness without it being extreme. Which is why, you know, movies like this don't always 100% fall into the horror genre. Like, I almost sometimes hesitate to call this just a horror. That's why I call it like a horror comedy. Um, for that reason, that it doesn't have those elements that are particularly, like, sinister or frightening or terrifying. But it does deal with creatures that are typically within the horror genre itself. 
But, I mean, I'll get into that as we talk more about it, but it definitely reimagined the vampire into a more, I personally wouldn't call it kiddish, but I would say a sexier version for the 80s. I think if we look not just at this movie, but Fright Night, which also was released in 85 during the same um, year, has the same sort of elements of how vampires are kind of changed into new forms of caricatures than they were in the past. And I'll, I'll do a comparison about that because, as we know, I fuck hard with vampires. I really fucking yes. love this shit. So this is basically, I've trained for this. Because, <laughs> dead ass, I've trained for this. I did a whole project in seventh grade vampire on vampires. Oh my God. So. Wait, wait, what's with the project? We haven't heard this. Story. Like we, we knew about your vampire encyclopedia, but. Oh, did I? I think I'm pretty sure I've said this before. No, did I not? you told me, but not on the podcast. Oh, yeah. Um, in seventh grade. I'm pretty sure it was It was between seventh or eighth grade, maybe even sixth grade. Um, we did a project about, I think it was either about, like, books that we really liked or something we were passionate about. I don't really quite remember the prompt. But I did mine on vampires. And I did, like, a whole, like, poster board presentation in my little Catholic school about vampires and when i tell you that i researched that shit and to this day it has stayed in my brain as like worthless shit <laughs> like is never gonna help me in life but yeah i i did a whole ass presentation on it. i'm pretty sure it was Anne rice is the book or the author that i did my project on but yeah i really went i was really into the vampire scene and it wasn't just because of twilight like this was even before twilight i'm not quite sure what appeal to me per se about it but i i was really really into them i went through a whole phase where that's like the only kind of books i read which a sixth grader seventh grader should not be reading Anne rice i'm gonna say that right now those books were way too mature um and i read them and i should not have read them so thank you mom for you know <laughs> helping me Shout and supporting me in my mom. passions but she let me read some books that were high key, not fucking appropriate. I'm gonna be dead ass with you that those books were very fucking. They were a lot. The I would Kim say. Kim lore grows deeper every every week. week. Like every week, the Kim lore gets weirder and stranger and better. Yeah, I mean, little me in Catholic school, my little school uniform, doing a presentation on vampires, which is pretty ironic considering it's very antithetical to like Catholicism. Um, but. That I did it, and I'm pretty sure I got an A in it. So, <laughs> did you did you ever hiss at anybody? No, I wasn't that. I wasn't one of those kids that like pretended to be a vampire or anything. But I just found that stuff really cool. Like I I really found those books interesting, and I just read a lot of books about it. But I was never like that. Like I was never hissing at people or trying to bite people or any of that stuff. That that wasn't that wasn't not until high school. No. Yeah, until college at least. No, in high school, I, how, I don't know. Maybe maybe I was cooler in high school. I, I don't remember. Probably not. <laughs> but I was definitely into reading a lot, and vampires became one of my favorite like horror genres to read. So this is kind of the things that I'm, I really know about and I'm really passionate about, which is kind of nerdy, but that's fine. <laughs> we all have flaws, I guess. <laughs> this is one of mine. <laughs> We all have flaws, I guess. <laughs> I guess. This is one of mine. But no, I, I definitely love um, movies like this. And that's probably the reason why, I mean, not probably, this is the reason why I picked this movie. I'm very biased. I very much love vampire films. If it has vampires in it, I've probably watched it. 
um, no matter what, whether it's campy, whether Day it's breakers. scary. Yeah, I've seen it. I, I'm, I've always been really interested. I've always watched it, so I'm pretty Twilight sure I've watched... Breaking Dawn Part 2. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> yeah. But did you sign. love it? Um, in terms of it, in its own little universe, sure. But if I want to talk about my favorite portrayals or creations of, like, vampires, no. I definitely prefer this 80s vampires over all other character characterizations of vampires just because I think they're the coolest here. Like Buffy, Buffy was done in 97 and it very much has inklings from this movie in this year. Um, so I very much love Buffy the Vampire Slayer, the TV show. It's one of my favorite shows. And that's why. It. It's because I'm into the 80s vampires kind of vibe. So... Twilight didn't do it for me in the bigger terms, like, you know, an umbrella of other vampires. It's not one of my favorites, but I was definitely into it when I was, like, 12 and 13, so I can't Says, lie. I don't know if I should out you like this, so I guess I won't. Then I really liked, oh, well, yeah, I really did like Twilight. I really That's did. not what I was going to say. Uh, what were you going to say? Never mind. Um, what were you going to say? <laughs> I was going to say, says the woman who owns jewelry from the movies. Yeah, no, I was really into it. Like, it was it was mainstream, and that was, like, one of the first times, you know, vampire shit was mainstream. So, of course, I wasn't jump on that bandwagon. You can't blame me for <laughs> liking what everyone else likes at the age of 12. But it, it was. Like, I do own a lot of memorabilia from the film series. Like, I own an Edward Blanket. Like, I still have it. All my t-shirts I wear to bed are still my Twilight t-shirts from Hot Topic. So I definitely was like, I was into it. It's just now, if I compare it to other, you know, vampire movies and stuff, it's not going to be my favorite. It probably won't even be in my top five. But I'm not going to deny that I didn't like it. I definitely was like a hardcore fan. I'm not going to say the movies are good because they're not. They're trash. And the books are trash. Yeah. But I love them. And I think that this... I think I had to bring up Twilight when it came to this movie because for me, like these vampires are sexy to me. And I think part of that has to come with the fact that vampires inherently are sexy to me. And that has to do with being a middle schooler who's obsessed with Twilight. Yeah. I mean, a a lot of that comes from this sort of era, I would probably argue. Um, Dracula, a lot of people want to say he was sexy or hot. No, if you're talking about the film version that was not done till later, I want to say it wasn't done until the 2000s. Um, but the book itself, dude, Dracula was like fucking disgusting, man. It was a 92 film. He was fucking hairy and ugly and like animal-like, like beast-like. Like it was very much like there was no attractiveness in vampires, probably up until you know, the latter years. And this movie to me is one of those big transformations of like youth and rock and roll and 80s all kind of mixed into something that is typically considered dangerous. So I definitely blame this movie for my obsession with a lot of things and my attraction to certain men probably comes from things like this. Um, So I blame (laughs) this movie for my trauma and uh, my therapist will be hearing about this (laughs) next week. But... No, I definitely, I definitely do love this movie, and I think it is very sexy, I guess, for lack of a better word. What were you going to say, Aaron, at one point? I forgot. It was probably dumb, um, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, like, I don't think it's necessarily, like, your guys' Twilight obsessions that, like, makes you attracted to these vampires or, like, feel like 
because these vampires are highly sexualized, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Like it yeah. Is, it it's is, symbolism. It's very, is very sexual. Uh, it just, it just is. Uh, yeah. And it's like a defining part of this movie. And I think that's why, like, I, th- I said before we watched this that I think Kim and I were going to have our typical exchange when it comes to this movie where I like this movie all the way around for sure. But the last half hour is like where it becomes my shit. And then like, I think Kim would definitely be like, yeah, the last half hour, it gets goofy as shit. Yeah. But when it's all sexy vampires in the beginning, that's yeah. your shit. You know? Agreed. I hate, the, I hate the latter part of the movie. I, I don't hate it because I love this movie. But if there was anything I would change about this movie, it is the latter half. I, I, I see the, the the last portion with all the, the blood pouring. Like, there's a point where blood is gushing mm-hmm. everywhere, all yeah. in the kitchen and shit. And part of me really says, like, fuck, I could have used this a half hour ago. You know? Yeah. Um, like, uh, this movie could... I think I would ask for more of it. I think yeah. this movie was, like, relatively... Like, I don't think this movie had a huge budget, but I think it used its budget really smart. Agreed. Um, like, there's a whole lot of vampires flying around and picking up people, but you never see what they look like when they're flying. Mm-hmm. I mean, you get, like, a, a glimpse, I think, for a second, but I think that wouldn't have been a good use of the budget. I think keeping that kind of ambiguous kept costs down and allowed them to have such a crazy finale and to have, like... Because there's really only two big elaborate sets. I guess the concert's pretty big, but I don't know. This movie it was clearly made with a lot of money, but then there's... You can see where they cut corners to kind of make other things work, but I, I, I definitely could have done with more vampire killing throughout it. I, but the thing is, is I don't think it was, like, paced poorly and it was boring in the beginning necessarily either. Yeah. I just think it was... It, it's almost like two very different movies. Yeah. Uh, in some way. But it's hard to say that, too, because it literally only is the last 15 minutes that's different. Yeah, it, it, it's it's interesting the way this movie's, like, paced. But it's still pretty tight. I don't think there's anything that could go besides, like, the sex scene, in all honesty. Yeah, it wasn't even that the sex scene was, like, cringy or excessive. It was just pretty, like, randomly thrown in there that it, it doesn't really serve as anything, TBH. And there there is a lot of, like, conversation around um, the role that um jamie geitz's character star plays in the whole thing i mean she doesn't have much of a character no um she's very one-dimensional uh and it's very and she's used a lot because of that reason in theories and you know conversation about the queerness of this movie and just in general about how women and whatnot are kind of viewed throughout this movie so i i would agree that sex scene is very it's very um <laughs> sorry burped are very just <laughs> out of place and not necessarily something that should be in the film or if it's taken out wouldn't be missed. I almost feel like it's in there to make the movie less gay. Yeah, I think so too. I think that you it know. was definitely to like try to like make it be like we're heterosexuals, I swear. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, oh like I don't think that's its entire portion, you know. I don't think the, I'm not saying that's like the only reason that was in there, but I think it, it definitely helped, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, there there was a lot of um tension and subtext throughout this movie. It's a very physical movie. Yeah, maybe that's why I liked it so much. I was very much like, oh, how interesting. I think that when you guys tell me a movie's gay, I think that I get my hopes up, and then I watch the movie, and then it's not nearly as gay as I would like it to be, so I get disappointed. And I think this that's is... partially what happened to me with this movie. This is 80s gay. Exactly. Like, yes, that's but thing. that's it, not how like... it was sold to me. But it is very much like 
for example, just because something is gay, whether in subtext or not, does not mean that it has to be very, like, explicit. Sometimes it is read between the lines. And I think those movies, in turn, are also what plays the greatest, like, conversation. Um, and I think this movie is one of them. I'm not disagreeing it's, with that. Did you or did you not see the shirtless, sweaty saxophone man? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not disagreeing with the fact that it is gay in subcontext and like I do see it like I see what you guys are talking about what I think I'm saying is that when I'm told this movie's very gay and that's literally all I'm told about the movie I don't know what year it's made I don't know what's going on in the movie I have no idea what the plot of the movie is I just know it's gay I might get a little bit hopes up and I might expect it to be like truly gay no I I get that I get that but because this is but, 80s yeah, it gay. Is, it, is, it, is, it is an 80s. Yeah, it's, it's, it's pushing boundaries to some degree, you know? And, Aaron, Definitely. you even said at some mm-hmm. point, you were like, I remember it being gayer. Because there was not a lot of touching and or him in his brain. I think it was because the last time I had seen it, it was my first time watching it. Yeah. And it kind of struck me, like, midway through, I was like, this vampire movie is really gay. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, there's, there's a whole lot of... Uh, I don't know. It's just and the thing is, is it's never like crazy overt, even still. Yeah. It's just like a sense throughout the whole movie. Uh, there's a lot of um, that you could almost rename this movie Michael. Yeah. Because if you, I'd say easily ten percent of this script is the word Michael. It is various people screaming or yelling or whispering or hearing the the name Michael. Well, it's mostly yeah. David, which is why I'm convinced that you know that's where the majority of the gay tension exists is between Michael, who is you know the main character, and then David, which is the main antagonist, um, the we, counter to Michael. Should we like maybe describe the beginning of this movie and then get to? We're, <laughs> we're almost like at doing the American Psycho thing we did last yeah. week, where it's like let's in quick leaps talk about how this movie goes so that we can discuss it. Um, should we? Sure. Um, the movie starts with my favorite trope of they're moving into a new house or a new neighborhood. It's great. I love it. It's not tired and dumb at uh, all anymore. The thing that the movie starts with is creepy children singing. And I think that that's important to point out because that was like the most horror movie moment I had where I was like, creepy children. It loves that song. The The theme for this movie is repeated. It's a good theme. Very often. It's good though. I agree. But uh, it, it's the typical you move into a new town or whatever. There's Michael, the older brother, Sam, the younger brother, and then uh, their mother. And I, I do love, though, like, as much as I shit on the moving in thing, they do not dwell on it at mm-hmm. all. They don't explore the house and find a weird room. It's just like the, the, it's like a two minute scene of them moving in with their eccentric grandfather because um, their mother got a divorce and they're broke now and et cetera, et cetera. And, but none of that's I mean, it's important, but not for like our conversation, I guess. And. They kind of just explore, it was Santa Carla, right? Yes. Yeah. They explore the Santa Carla, which is like um, the new kind of beach town, almost like a little Santa Monica-esque, right? Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. It has Santa a boardwalk Carla's not a real and place, right? everything like, like that, yeah. And it's they have like crazy concerts on the beach and stuff like that. And Michael notices a girl that catches his attention. He follows her and he kind of leads her to this like biker gang of like teenagers that have been making appearances all throughout the movie causing general disruption every time they go somewhere if they go to a store people are like we told you not to come here or there's oh it's um they're just like delinquents that nobody seems to want around and then the lead being david played by 
It, is it Kiefer Sutherland? Yes. Yeah, Kiefer, Kiefer Sutherland. That's an odd name, right? Kiefer? <laughs> it's very interesting, uh, yeah. I keep wanting to say Keith Sutherland because, you know, that's a real name. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you were saying it? I have a quote from Kim about Kiefer Sutherland. Uh-huh. Yeah. And it says, the chokehold he had on me growing up. Yes. Because she wanted to emphasize that he made her... I don't know, like, was her sexual awakening or something, I guess? <laughs> um, I don't know if I would say that, but I definitely, I definitely loved David, and I still do, in this movie. I, I think I just have, like, a really big thing for, like, Billy Idol, and so he kind of looks like Billy Idol in this movie, and obviously, if you guys have seen Buffy, um, Spike is my favorite for that very reason, so I have a pattern of, you know, the and villains then, that I typically like throughout movies. They typically have the bleach blonde hair. But yeah, I definitely I definitely fell in love with David. I was like, he's pretty hot. And I stand by that statement. I he's also, supposed to be... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Okay. I also referred to a different character as looking like Draco Malfoy. And Kim thought I was calling her out for Kiefer Sutherland. And was like, oh yeah, like, don't call me out for that shit. So I thought I would point out that apparently Draco Malfoy is also on the list of hot men that Kim finds. When I was younger, yeah, I definitely liked. Well, I like Sirius Black and Draco. And you know what? We're not going to delve into what that says about me. But those were my favorite when I was watching Harry Potter <laughs> growing up. We're not going to talk about any of that. But yeah. Um, do I have great taste? No. Will I apologize? No. But yeah, Kiefer Sutherland, definitely, I loved him. 10 out of 10. He's one of my favorite characters. And I love him. He's really fucking hot in this movie. It's a biker, the leather, the bleached hair. He's very Billy Idol. And I fuck with that. You shouldn't be allowed to thirst over Draco Malfoy. The only correct character to thirst over in Harry Potter is Arthur Weasley. That's it. Oh my god. <laughs> it's the only one. Um, anyway, <laughs> the like... Silence. <laughs> I was, that was that was me uh, drinking. Um, there's um, I'll stand by it. I'll fight you all. Okay, Ar- but Arthur Jenny Weasley. Weasley? Who made her? Who made her? <laughs> <laughs> Just throwing that out there. Um, <laughs> but I don't think it's like it, he's definitely supposed to be like the sexy leader of the gang, and I think that it's kind of like a vampire thing that you lure in your prey yeah uh with you know i mean that's what you know like universal's dracula is all about is this new guy from transylvania comes in and is super charming you know mm-hmm. and it's interesting to see it not be charming by you know fancy suits and cocktail parties and hand kissing but more via this kingdom of filth that they live in you know um, yeah but I, we'll, we'll get there in just a second we're, we're like i know i'm blazing through it but i'm just uh trying to get to like good parts where He's he's uh so Michael the main character is like following the girl who announces herself as star and they're about to go on a date and then um Kiefer Sutherland and his <laughs> biker gang show up and kind of take her and are like oh follow us if you dare or whatever and they go on like a crazy motorcycle ride through the beach and off to kind of like a, a cliff that leads down into the sea and they kind of do a game of chicken where Michael hits the brakes and doesn't go over the edge at like the last second. And I think all of that motorcycle stuff is actually filmed really well. It, mm-hmm. it never really, it never really struck me until I watched it this time that I was like, this couldn't have been easy to do. You know, it's uh, yeah, a lot of stuntmen on bikes doing some pretty tight maneuvering, you know, mm-hmm. but after, you know, Michael doesn't topple over the side of the cliff, they kind of take him in and invite him to like 
it's kind of like a cave entrance type thing, but it used to be a resort like hotel they were yeah. saying, right? Yeah, but it's, it's like a luxury hotel that's kind of sunken in and kind of been abandoned. So it's like this abandoned cobweb filled uh like lobby of a hotel that kind of has like a pirate's cove type element mm-hmm. with the way they've taken it over. Um and this is when you see David is definitely like the head of the group. He has almost a throne he sits in in like the center. And he doesn't get anything himself. He asks everybody else to get it for him. And he's definitely very like regal and held to a big standard in the group. But at the end of the day, they're living in a pile of shit. You know, like it, it's, it's, <laughs> I mean, it's kind of cool looking, but it's a, it's a dump, you know, there's no luxury in it. And I think that's kind of like an interesting appeal of this vampire luring you in, not with wealth or, cause like, you know, when you think of typical vampires, you think of Dracula's castle and his manor and his, how huge it is. And you join Dracula for dinner at this long, elegant table. And this is just such a contrast where they're eating Chinese food out of takeout trays in this disgusting little hideout, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I have a question. Because the next scene that you see is they turn the rice into looking like maggots, and then they turn the noodles into looking like worms. How mm-hmm. do they do that? I think it's a mind trick. I think it's a Jedi mind trick. That's what, that's, that's what I <laughs> Yeah, it's, it's some kind of either, you know, mind control or mind mental illusion or something. But it is, um, you know, in, in old vampire lore, that is something that was said to be something that vampires could do, which is, you know, control what you see or change thoughts in your head or whatever. So I think it was just a brief illusion into what David and then can do or more so David, okay. probably more so than the others. But it, it was just like a, a, men, a mind trick essentially jedi yes Um, (laughs) for sure jedi the the worm and maggot scene is like probably one of the top three most like recognizable scenes from the movie i don't necessarily think it's like an amazing scene but if you see any kind of lost boys merch or quotes it's almost always involves the worms in some way right yeah i i personally love that scene i think it's fantastic i just think there's better scenes in the movie i'm not like shitting on that scene as much as it's like i think they're cooler quotes you know yeah it's just one of those scenes that i feel like i've always remembered about it um well i mean i watch this movie a lot and obviously all the scenes david's in but i that is one of the bigger scenes that i always found was like really cool and really like i don't know it was just really interesting also the way it's shot um with the lighting and how they focus very much on david's face and then michael's face and it's i don't know it kind of goes back to like adding to that whole sort of I would want to say connection, but I definitely believe they're gay for each other. And this is one of those moments where there's definitely, Mike, David's definitely goading Michael, but that's kind of where the connection between them kind of begins. Um, and I love that. I love that for them. When you talk about the the, the cinematography and like the, the shooting of that scene, there's like a god ray on David. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of them yeah. are in the darkness, but there's very clearly like a patch of light that's going down and sitting over David in his like, I say throne, but it really is just a slightly better chair than everybody else has. <laughs> you know, like it's, yeah. it's, they're, they're not living large in any means. And I think saying that they have a connection is, is certainly fair, but it's also the scene does a good job of, they seem to have accepted Michael in some way. They seem yeah. he's, he's, he's passed whatever test that they seem to have expected him to but you never feel safe there's a constant sense of danger it's not suddenly like oh never mind you're cool yeah there it's certainly like this uneasy 
because you don't know if they're constant like even you know when they think it's all good they turn his food into maggots and worms and stuff but that's not necessarily like oh these are still evil people because they played a prank on him you know it could be all in like good fun like he doesn't know these powers we have so we'll use them to fuck with them but they there's like a sense of danger that goes throughout it too mm-hmm. yeah. and there's, there's certainly a lot of mystery as far as like what's their agenda because i guess at that point in the movie they could be good people overall like a lovable bunch of misfits you know like yeah. you don't know at that point that they're necessarily nefarious yeah. they could just be rebellious you know mm-hmm. so anything else we want to say kind of about all this in there well i guess we can go into do you want to go into the 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 wine kim um do you want me to i i mean it's it's a very small part of the scene to be fair um, but it has massive yeah it, it's kind of it kind of is what leads into like the bigger um plot of the movie so it's still in the same location picking up where we left off um david of course is the one to kind of i would say initiate michael um into the group he hands him this bottle which is very it's very it's decorated very beautifully with like jewels or what seems to look like jewels um and kind of tells michael that it's just wine or it's implied that it's just wine I just want to point out that it's probably the only very nice quality item that's in this entire shithole. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, Star, which is, I, I believe I mentioned it before, the only woman in the group, um, warns Michael not to drink from the bottle. She tells him, I believe she does tell him in that moment that it's blood. She, she does, like, yeah. don't drink She's that, like, it's, it's blood. blood. Yeah. And he just does not believe her he ignores her and he's just kind of in a way focused on just wanting to be part of the group um and so he drinks it anyway like an I think idiot too, he doesn't trust its blood because they just turned his food into maggots and worms and then he saw yeah. afterwards that it wasn't so you know you like, can't dude, believe why would you just drink something someone just gave you like it michael in this movie <laughs> is 80s. very dense Nobody is worried about being roofied in the 80s. Michael just is not the brightest character in this movie, and we will see that throughout this film. He very much is like consequences for his actions, because he is... My dude does not even help himself, but we'll get to that later. I kind of saw it as, you fucked with me with the maggots, and you fucked with me with the, the worms, so I'm um, yeah, like a challenge. You're not gonna make you're not gonna make me panic that when you say it's blood, you know, like yeah. Oh, yeah. Rami with the other ones, this is probably wine and you're just trying to fuck with me for a third time. Yeah. So like while I agree it is stupid to drink it, yeah, I think there w- I think there was strategy in the the worms and maggots in the beginning to get him to trust yeah. trust by mistrust in yeah. some odd way. Yeah, yeah. It was very, very much like taking the challenge and not wanting to, you know, um not wanting to back down. I'll also use a different word, but I won't because I want to get through I was this. Thinking, I was thinking the same thing. I yeah. almost, I almost I think myself you should like, use the other word. I, I okay. don't think we should as we're in and out. Um, yeah, <laughs> I, I will. I don't care. No, I appreciate let, Let's not. <laughs> it's not a bad word, but you know what I'm implying. He just didn't want to, you know, bend down I, to Michael and wanted to just take the challenge and he drank it anyway. I guess we can see it that way as well. Uh, yeah, I'm not saying that I'm viewing it correctly or anything. It's just kind of... No, I agree. A hundred percent. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that as well. Um, And then after he drinks it, um, they go to this railroad bridge afterwards and it's a really cool scene where it's like super foggy and they essentially just kind of 
let themselves fall. Oh, no, they they hang on the edges they of hang. it. And they're just yeah. letting their bodies kind of just hang there. And then one by one, they let go. And, you know, they're kind of urging Michael to also let go. But it's pretty scary because he knows it's a bridge. And you can't really see where the end is because of all the fog. And eventually he also lets go. And it's a very it's a very interesting scene of him just kind of free falling for a few seconds with like changes in lighting and just the voices and people. I believe it's the other boys. I don't know if they're cheering him or what they're saying, but there's there's definitely music. It's a very interesting scene. There's a lot happening at the same time. Nothing's happening because Michael's just kind of flailing there. I think he assumes they're like falling to their deaths. And then once he hears their voices calling out to him at, at, while he's still hanging there, yeah, he yeah. finally kind of feels comfortable in letting go. But I also um, think he can't hold on anymore. Yeah, that's also fair. Yeah, it is a lot to just kind of let your body just kind of hang like that. And also, and then, I'd be so sweaty. I'd be so nervous. I hate heights. I would not so. be able to hold on. I just know then, my upper body strength. That's not possible. <laughs> and not only are they just hanging there, but the train goes over the bridge and yes. shakes everything, mm-hmm. too, making it harder to hang on. Like, yeah, I so can't a really do a pull-up. Like, I can't pull myself back up out of that situation, so I wouldn't put myself in that situation, you know? If if you're hanging that low, the chances you can pull yourself back up are, like, slim to none unless you, like, train. And he tries, like too. He, like, tries yeah. to pull himself back up. Yeah. But then he falls, and then he winds up just, like, waking up in bed. They don't really explain yeah. anything past that. Um, I also want to bring up the side plot that was running alongside this of Michael's younger brother, mm-hmm. Sam, going to the comic book store and meeting the Frog Brothers. Um, do you want to take that one, AJ? <laughs> the sure. whole comic book? Um, I, what I first was going to bring up was that their parents seemed to be dead and just, like, stuck there. Um, but <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> they, so... His little brother goes to the comic book store. He's just, like, looking around, and these guys show up, and they're, like, following him around and being kind of intimidating, and then he shows off with his comic book knowledge, and they're like, oh, shit, you know shit, and so then they give him a vampire comic book, and they're like, you need to read this. Like, this is important, and they're like, he's like, you guys are weird, and I'm like, horror comics, like, it's fine. And they're like, no, 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 read it, it's important, and they have to, like, run off. And then he comes back another day, and he's, like, walking around, and they're like, you need to read this, and it's, like, the same comic book, or a different one, but, like, it's it's still about vampires, and um, they're like, it's a survival guide for the city, like, you can't be in the city and not read this, it's important, and then they were like, our numbers on the back of it you like call us if you need us but you better pray that you never need us that that seems almost a little gay too right? <laughs> yeah. did, I, did i get that from it they're they're very close and yeah i see that exchanging of a phone number and stuff i think it was also it also contributed in some way you know i feel a little weird saying that about minors but minors can be gay what <laughs> <laughs> Continuation. I think we should sit here yeah. in silence instead. I think so. I need, I need a minute. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's just important that you know there are people that are aware of the situation, and it's kind of funny because the correct ones are also children that won't be taken seriously for a second, and that's kind of a big plot point of this movie. Mm. Yes. Do you want to take it from here, Kim? Uh, sure. So we're back to where I left off after Michael fell off the bridge with the rest of the boys. He wakes up the next morning. Um does not remember how he got there 
Um, his eyes are sensitive to the sun. And it's kind of implied that he develops some kind of, you know, thirst for blood. He kind of became, becomes like, I don't know, he kind of starts searching for something. And he kind of stalks <laughs> his little brother who happens to be taking a bath. It is such a weird and strange scene seeing um, Corey Haim just like in a bathtub singing music with his big dog in the bathroom and when Michael kind of bursts through looking like he's gonna literally attack and eat his brother, the dog retaliates and jumps on him and they kind of both fall out of the bath. And Sam at the time was under the water and comes back up when he hears a noise. And then from there, he gets out of the tub and goes to kind of search to see um, where his dog went and what was going on. And in that moment on the stairs, he realizes that Michael is turning into a vampire because of his, I believe his reflection was kind of semi, like, it was kind of transparent in, I think it was like a mirror. Um, he looked like a force ghost. Yeah, and he, like, Sam, good for him, he just snaps into action and he's like, hell no, you're turning into a vampire, you're the enemy, get the hell out of here. And it, it, this is where the comedy kind of comes into it. It is very funny. It's like a whole, some great one-liners from Corey Haim. Um, running away from Michael, trying to like protect himself, locking him out of his room. Um, Michael essentially comes in through the window. And, you know, there's, it's a whole scene between the two of them where Michael is basically saying, I'm not yet a full vampire. I'm still your brother and I still want you to help me. And Sam, upon hearing that, decides to let him in. And he calls his mom at one point. Um, let's get to Lucy before I continue. Their mom, Lucy, um, upon getting there, gets a job at the video store um, with a man named Max, who is the owner. Um, Max is a really sweet guy, and the two of them kind of hit it off, and they go on a date together. Well, during this date, Lucy gets a phone call from her son, Sam, who at the time is right now with Michael, pre-post-vampirism, and is calling her, basically begging her to come home and freaking out. And it's really funny. She, like, freaks out too, gets in her car, live, leaves midway from the date, and drives home. And back home, Sam and Michael kind of talk. And Sam decides to help his brother. And by the time the mom gets there, he just, Sam just kind of covers and says that he got scared because of the comic he was reading. And there's an interesting dynamic between the mother and the sons that kind of gets pushed throughout this movie of, her being a single mother, trying to date, trying to do things for herself, and still trying to have a connection with her sons, who were very much just kind of left to their own devices for most of the movie. Um, so there's an interesting dynamic that kind of exists there as well. But Michael developing his supernatural powers, like we saw earlier in the scene where he was kind of flying outside the window, goes to ask Star for help. So he goes back to the, I'm going to call it a cove or a cave, where he was brought to before with the other boys and he's gonna go ask her for help and kind of you know tell her what you do to me what's going on and does not happen because like i said michael is not the sharpest tool in the shed and he ends up just having sex with her in the scene that we mentioned before that is pretty unnecessary but it happens it's whatever soundtrack is still good but anyway and through that while he's doing that um, Sam kind of talking with the Frog Brothers and whatnot kind of has come to the conclusion that since Michael hasn't actually killed anyone or, you know, drank their blood, 
he's not fully a vampire yet. And through reading his comics, he finds out that if he kills the head vampire, then Michael will be able to turn back into a regular human. So Sam and the Frog Brothers kind of, you know, retrace their steps and kind of realize that this all kind of started when Lucy, Sam's mom, started working at the video store. Not quite sure how Sam came to that conclusion, to be honest, but somehow he connects those dots and decides that Max is the head vampire. So when Lucy brings Max for a follow-up date um, at the house, Sam brought the Frog Brothers as well to conduct tests on Max to see whether he is a vampire and whether they could like kill him in that moment. And again, it's a very comical scene. Um, they're eating dinner together. Instead of giving him Parmesan cheese, they give him garlic bread, garlic, just pure garlic. Anyway, doesn't work. Um, they try spilling what I believe is holy water on him, doesn't work. They turn the lights off, turn it back on. They show him his reflection and it's there. Max kind of concludes that Sam is just doing this because he feels threatened um, in the sense that he's trying to date his mom. Lucy is very embarrassed, feels like Max Sam is doing this just to kind of hurt her or for lack of understanding why she wants to date. It's very much a misunderstanding between the two and at the end they kind of decide that Max was not the head vampire after all. So they focus back on um, Michael to kind of see who in turn really is the head vampire because Sam does not, does, Sam thinks that Michael doesn't know, but Michael, of course, sweet child Michael has not told his brother the whole story that there are literal vampires that turned him, aka David. He just decided to not bring it up. Don't know why Michael sucks. I actually hate his character now that I keep talking about him, but <laughs> this boy just, he sucks, man. Um, has the the beach nazis happened yet? no that's that's no. coming up next that's his very next okay, scene okay. i believe um just making sure so david takes michael um to a, a beach where like a bunch of beach goers and it's like nighttime and they're like dancing these for some reason i don't know if they ever actually say in the film i believe they do but they refer to these group of people as beach nazis or surf nazis i'm sorry I'm not quite sure where that comes from, but it's listed in the credits, and I believe they do use it like once or twice in the film. I don't quite remember. I feel like correct. I would have noticed that. I don't think that. so. I don't think so. I don't think, I don't they, think they say it, it for a second. Yeah. Then it might just be what they're referred to in Nazi, I would have noticed. Yeah, I feel like I would have too. And like we had subtitles on. Like I, I really think it's just a credits thing. But I was really surprised to see that in the credits. Yeah, I, I'm assuming it's just kind of like referring to basically not like another sub gang, but just people that take over the beach that are not them who kind of place a claim on the beach that you know they tend to kind of walk around at nighttime so i guess it's just like a tension between the two but anyway david takes michael there where there's a bunch of beach goers partying these surf nazis as they call them just trying to have a good time and they kind of show their true colors where they attack these bitches they go hard it's a pretty cool scene michael loses his shit which again i'm like what did you expect sir I'm serious. Michael is like the worst character in this fucking movie. Yeah. Um, but whatever. He's screaming and he's terrified and he like can't believe what's going on. He's stupid. Um, and they basically eat these people. And David kind of brought Michael to kind of, I guess, provoke him into also taking part and finally making that kill. So that way he'll fully turn. 
but Michael doesn't do it. This is also the first time you see David and the gang have mm-hmm. bare their fangs and have their eyes change, and there's like some kind of prosthetics in like their forehead, yeah, and, and face. I think it's really fucking cool. It's, it's the first time that I'd say maybe Kim would disagree, <laughs> but the first time that they're they're, they're not attractive <laughs> and they're not cool looking. Yeah, the uh, it, it it really shows. I, I mean, it sounds. It, it shows that they're monsters like, quite mm-hmm. literally like it's the first time you see this like semi-cool gang of bikers really be horrible creatures of the night you know? yeah and they're they're brutal like there's a scene where david bites this dude's head like he just like bites the back of the top of his yes, head yes that's what i was gonna bring up spurts. and it's like the first time you really see gore and they don't really sh- it's not like super explicit but when they bite it spurts like yeah it, it, it's it's not a whole hell of a lot but the little that they show is kind of intense yeah. it's i i like it a whole lot it's a massacre and it it feels like it and i think this happens almost like a nearly an hour into the runtime and to have seen you know relatively tame things for so long to suddenly see someone spurt blood out of the back of their head was was kind of jarring and i, I like that yeah no it was it's a really brutal scene and i think that was like the point it was like michael seeing you know these guys f- truly finally for what they are and that's just basically killers who are i guess quote unquote ugly i think it's pretty fucking cool but yeah if he sees them for their true faces and who they are and i guess he himself kind of has to you know come to terms with the fact that he too wants to do these things and he too will look like that if he completes a transformation so he's horrified in what he sees but also in the fact that he himself is also turning into that or can be that i guess and david says like you'll live forever you'll never age but you need to be. yeah and it's yeah kind of like it, and that that kind of settles in that it's like we don't do this for fun you're gonna have to do this too mm-hmm. and then after that michael kind of escapes um goes home to sam and we kind of see michael and the rest of the gang on their bikes kind of terrorizing the place for a bit not coming in, but sort of threatening, as in, like, we're here, we obviously know where you live, you can't run forever. Um, and then Star arrives, and at first they don't want to let her in, but she somehow gets in anyway without, you know, really being invited in, which I still don't get how that actually Oops. works. I guess she's not a full vampire, because I thought the same thing. I was like, why is she just allowed in without invitation? But I think it's because she's you're not, not a true vampire until yeah. your first until your first kill. Yeah. Well, also, I'll bring this up later because it, it is a plot later. But I, I think they kind of took a bit liberties with that particular lore. Um, I couldn't agree yeah. more. We're on the same page with that. Yes. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that in a second when, when there's another yeah. part where this whole invitation thing gets brought up again. And we'll get to that. But, um, yeah, she comes in through the window. Um, she uh, tells them that she's a half-vampire. She also wants to be cured. She doesn't want to be a full vampire. Um, she kind of relays to Michael that David had intended for Michael to be Star's first kill. That's the only reason he kind of let her talk to Michael and be around yeah. him. It, it wasn't just because Michael found him interesting. It was, well... I wouldn't disagree, but it very much is for Star to be, you know, to kill him and then she'd become a full vampire like the rest of them. Um, And she obviously does not want to do that because she likes Michael. It's like a whole weird thing. Um, The next day, Michael is obviously getting weaker because he's not feeding um, and Michael is still kind of messing with his head. I'm sorry, David is still messing with his head. Um, 
Michael, Sam, and the Frog Brothers go to the lair to try and, I guess, fight back or do something and find them during the day when they're at their weakest. So Michael and Star kind of pass out in the car, but Sam and the rest of the brothers go down there with stakes and things that they have read in their comics that are going to help them defeat the vampires. They go in. Interestingly, we see that they sleep upside down the way we traditionally would, you know, when we think about vampires, for the most part, like Batman, how they sleep, it's hanging upside down. It's pretty cool. Um, and they end up staking one of the vampires, Marco, because he's the littlest. And I guess they seem as like the easiest target. Well, there was stake through the heart. And surprise, surprise, it wakes him up and everyone else wakes up because I don't know what they were expecting, but somehow no. they were surprised. And the other vampires wake up, David being the most pissed off, goes after them. The boys are running away. He holds on to one of their legs. I believe it's Sam's. Tries to drag him back in. But the moment his hand kind of reaches out into the sunlight, he starts burning. So that's another thing that we learn now. The weaknesses aren't just staked in the heart. It's also sunlight. Um, and then they go and they find um, Star and I believe the child's name is Laddie. Yeah, which I'm also a character that's not necessary at all. Totally He's a half vampire child. He's just a child that is and like Star's companion. From Twilight, that vampire children are illegal. <sighs> well, that's that's not how that happens here. But yeah, I, um, it, <laughs> AJ's just like, what about other vampire movies? And we're like, okay, well, we're talking about this one. And she's like, all right, but in these other ones, but not other ones, just but Twilight. But what about ones I care more about? Just Twilight, not any just other Twilight. ones. Just Twilight. That's all I care about. Um, but yeah, this is a new character we're introduced with, for some reason, a small child that Star wants to also save. No idea where the fuck this kid came from, but for no, some reason No, he's around the whole movie. He's around the whole movie. He is. But he's he not, is, like, even... introduced, or he's not important. He doesn't have any lines. No. He's not no. really... He's just You're a figure. Right. They... But he's They there. zoom in on a milk carton. Yeah. With his face, face on, on it. it. Yeah. And that's just like, that's as big of an introduction as he gets. Can I? I also, be- before we move on, I really want to talk about how cool the scene is when they do kill Marco. Um, Marco. Yeah. Because they, they stab him and he screams and he bleeds. It's not like, it's not all red blood. It's like kind of like a greenish yellow mm-hmm, yeah. and red. And it just gushes all over the place and the kids are soaked in it and they're filthy afterwards and they, they lose. And there's the famous, you know, you're dead. Me. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yes. That's so great. Loved and that. I, I don't know. Uh, that's from that point onward. I love the movie. I like the movie up until that point. But from the time Marco gets stabbed onwards, I love it. <laughs> I think I love the moment where they say you're dead me. And that's my highlight of the whole movie. <laughs> Yeah, it's a great scene. R.P. Marco. He didn't really have many lines. Poor but he was Draco. Pretty cool. Marco. Also, I don't think you guys are Bill and Ted fans, but that is Bill from Bill and Ted, which is <laughs> fucking incredible. Draco. <laughs> you guys. Anyway, R.P. Marco um, is a goner. Can I say real fast that I really like the name of this movie? The Lost Boys? Yeah, I think it's a really clever name. That's all. I think so too. I just really enjoy it, and I felt like I should bring it up at some point. And I think it fits on in so many different ways. It can yeah. refer to all of the... There's, like, a, a big theme of missing people posters. Yes. Throughout the entire thing. And, like, I mean, Laddie is literally a lost boy when you see the milk carton. And then I think they even... 
I think they even at some point say something like, "Oh, those boys did ignore them. They're they're just lost or something like yeah. that." Or there's 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 some kind of thing where they refer to them as like lost boys. And I also agree that it's it's a great. Thing. I mean, it reminded me of Peter Pan and the Lost Boys, and the yeah. thing about them is that they're immortal, and so the fact that they're yeah, vampires yeah. is definitely like they took that concept and just were like, "Well, what if you took the Lost Boys but made them immortal?" And they could have made it, it is. one step further and named David Peter, you know? Yeah. Like, that would have been interesting. Yeah. So the title is a reference to um, J.M. Barry's stories about Peter Pan and Neverland and whatnot. Originally, the characters in the screenplay were supposed to be younger to be more reflectant of the Peter Pan stories. But Joel um, Schumacher decided that he wanted to make them teenagers because he wanted to kind of go with the overall theme of 80s sexiness rock and roll so that was kind of a consensus that they kind of came to but it 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 is a knockoff of you know the lost boys that we see in peter pan for that specific reason yeah which i think is pretty cool i think it worked i think it was better i think it would have been memorable as like kids killing other kids but then i don't think you could have gone to some of the lengths you did yeah but they they did you know I, i don't think you can go to some of those lengths and i do think that like a lot of the iconicness of this movie is the the sexuality in it. Yeah, no, agree. And there's a lot of you know conversation as to who the Lost Boys specifically refer to. Um, and so there's a there's a lot of theories about you know who who are the Lost people. What does that mean? What does it mean to be lost? And you know there's a there's a lot of conversation about that too, which I think is also really interesting. Um, but it it is supposed to be that whole immortality spiel, but with bleach and leather and great music so i i think i like this take on it a bit more than i do regular peter pan but it definitely does have that connection so shall we continue yes okay yeah i'm basically wrapping up yeah we're at the latter part now um so in the evening we see that lucy is bringing max over to the house for a date um grandpa is out with a widow i believe is the ongoing joke that grandpa is having dates with like the widow next door or the widow in town more so, than dating yeah he, he gets lucky with. Yeah. yeah yeah grandpa's a funny character throughout this movie i love grandpa very kooky um but he's not present during this time he's out on a hot date so lucy has max over um and the teens you know the boys and sam wait do you do you mean max has lucy over yeah is it is it at max's house yeah Yeah, because she she needs to be out of the house for the final confrontation to take place Mm. okay so yeah lucy's on a date with max i guess i'll preface it like that um to be more specific and the teens are, they're, like, filling uh, water guns with, like, holy water. It very much is, like, how you refer to it as, like, a Home Alone-esque kind of a vibe they start going with. They have, like, yeah. stakes that they kind of carved, like, long bows, like, I guess, like, um, arrows. Um, they're barricading themselves in the house. They're, they have, like, a bathtub with, like, garlic and stuff. And it's it's very Home Alone-esque, which is, I guess, part of the comedy and kookiness of the movie. There's, there's a scene I love where there's, like, a wedding going on, I think, or something at a church. <laughs> and then I think it was a baptism. burst in. Uh, oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, or the, the, yeah, a baptism. And then they just burst into the church and then start filling canteens with holy water. And <laughs> everyone just stops and stares at them as they do it. And then they run out. It's so good. <laughs> it is very funny it's... as they prepare it. It is funny. 
so they're all they're doing that. They're basically getting the house together and getting ready for any threats that are coming their way. When night comes, David and the rest of the gang kind of obviously come to the house to attack as retribution for Marco. Um, the Frog Brothers encounter Paul, which is the taller vampire, in the bathroom. And just like kind of the, the na- they're practically nameless. Like I know they have names, but they're pretty unimportant, like background vampires. I just want to point out that if you don't, if you haven't heard us talk about Paul, it's because Paul really doesn't. Yeah. He just kind of. He's just yeah. part of David's gang. Yeah. But it, it is, yeah. you know, if you want to differentiate between the two, like um, between all four of them, the, the only one who's really memorable Definitely. is David, but the rest, they do have names and they, they do look different. So you, you'll kind of be yes, able to yes. not get confused with them, but they don't have their own kind of, you know, standout moments until now obviously marco we know his name now because of when he died and now in this scene we kind of get a bit more familiar with paul for the next few seconds so he's wrestling with the frog brothers and um garlic he's like doesn't work on me and so he says what about holy water and they splash him so apparently the bathtub also had holy water as well as garlic and that seems to work on him so they pour some on him. He starts smoking, screaming, pushes him down. And then he continues on. And the dog, this dog is a true hero of this movie, comes in, yes. knocks him down into the bathtub. And he starts smoking and screaming. And it's a pretty, pretty cool scene. His skin starts kind of burning and melting off almost. He emerges as a skeleton. Yeah, he kind of goes skeleton. down thinking where he's dead. And he comes back up again, all gross. And yeah, it's pretty nasty. But prosthetic work is really good in this movie. And that is how he kind of dissolves to bone. That's kind of how he ends. Pretty cool ending, if you ask me. Um, Sam is, I don't remember where he is in the house, but he gets attacked by Dwayne, which is one of the other vampires. Um, The brunette vampire, I guess, is the one way you can differentiate him from the other three. Um, And he... Before he, oh, he shoots him with an arrow through his chest and it like backs him into a stereo and he gets like electrocuted and parts of his body start exploding. It's a really, really gnarly scene. I will give credit whether this past, you know, the latter part of this movie isn't really one of my favorites. I will say the kills are pretty, pretty cool. Like this is probably the gory part of the movie, which isn't explicit, but it is pretty gross. Um, So I, I do like it. I do like this part. And I think uh, Dwayne's death is one of my favorites just because he kind of explodes. That's kind of cool. His head pops. In yeah. It's fantastic. It's really fucking yeah. awesome. It's probably, it's probably my favorite. I should also mention that when they, when the, they push the first one, Paul into the bathtub, that it seemingly causes all the plumbing in the house to mm. like, explode yeah. in blood. And there's like the kitchen is covered in blood and it's spraying everywhere. Like pretty much anywhere water would come through the house. Blood is now gushing through. And it's that yeah, same that part's like wild. it's the same like greenish red yellow blood that I I really think looks cool. Yeah, it's yeah, it's pretty fucking cool. It's great scenes, um, pretty pretty you know kooky. It's not disgusting, but it, it is definitely cool in my opinion. And then Michael is attacked by David, of course, boyfriends fighting boyfriends. It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> um, kind of forcing him to use like his vampireness um, to kind of fight back. And Dave, uh, Michael ends up kind of overpowering David and impales him on, I believe it's antlers that yes. were like on the yeah. wall. Because Grandpa has a lot of weird um, taxidermy, taxidermy stuff around, you know, the house. So that is one thing that he uses to his to his advantage and kind of impales Michael. 
And that's kind of how he dies, which to me is pretty anticlimactic, but I am a David Stan, so I was expecting more. Kind of sad, disappointed in that part of the movie. There's an interesting kind of remorse that Michael seems to have after he kills David, too. There's also the light, like the scene that you see Michael kind of dying. The light is kind of shining on his face where he looks really like, you know, dare I say it, angelic in that moment as he slowly dies. And Michael is kind of left in shadow as he watches David kind of die. And it's it's pretty like, that antithesis has always kind of existed throughout the movie though, like we pointed out before. David is always in this sort of ethereal light. And Michael, yeah. for the most part, is more within darkness, which I find to be very interesting symbolically because it should be the other way around if we're looking at the typical trope of like purity versus darkness that we kind of see Absolutely. throughout vampire movies. But here it's kind of switched. So I'm not quite sure if it's supposed to be an emulation of how Michael sees David in this light. And how David sees Michael in this darkness of like wanting to pull him into darkness. I'm not quite sure if I'm reading too much into that. Um, I, I don't have much to give to that sort of, I guess I would call it like a theory or whatever that I'm kind of talking about. But I, I always find lighting to be very symbolic in movies and it wasn't accidental. So, you know, there's no reasoning behind it. But that's, I guess, kind of how I would interpret the differences between the two um but it is a very very interesting scene between the two there also all the other vampires explode or melt or have some kind Mm -hmm. of even if they were just stabbed something crazy happens to them and nothing happens to michael and i mean to david yeah and i can't help but think that he david even looked like slightly younger as a corpse yeah he did like it almost looked like he lost his facial hair or like something happened he looked like more angelic almost yeah so like when he dies it's a little somber he doesn't explode or anything it's just like and then even there's a scene later where they look at his corpse and it's still there very peaceful looking it's it's interesting i'm not quite sure what the symbolism behind it is either but there's certainly something there yeah, and it's, it's I mean, very sad. I mean, I guess he dies the most human out of the other three. Yeah. And I, I think that, again, that says a lot. That that could mean a lot for his character, but it could also, you know, mean a lot for how Michael views David. And, yeah, I, I yeah. don't know. I mean, to me, that's kind of what I, I like to see. I like to see it from that way, you know, the way that we see Michael, um, yeah, the way we see David and the way we see Michael isn't necessarily through a subjective point, I'm sorry, an objective point, it might be through maybe how they see each other. But again, I could be reading too much into that, there's not much basis for that, but I like to think that might be an interpretation of what those shots and those lightings might mean. There's certainly something odd there. Um, um, I I, kind of wanted to know AJ's take on a lot of this. Um, kind of the finale here. Yeah, I kind of liked it. I kind of expected, I feel like we've talked about this for a couple movies, but I feel like horror is a little light in this movie. Um, and so the deaths and like the tail end of this movie where things go like a little bit more gory and a little bit more obvious and stuff like that, I think is a little bit more horror related and I like it a little bit better. Um, I think David's, I was kind of sad that the vampires died. Um, which I think is a weird take for me to take, but 
Um, at the same time, I did. I was like, oh, the vampires are dead. Poor vampires. <laughs> the movie also makes kind of a dividing line, like, midway through, where they're like, Star, Laddie, and Michael are the only ones that can be saved. Yes. Mm-hmm. Every Everybody else has to go. Yes. Because they haven't killed someone, and they're not full vampires. Even if they were to kill the head vampire, everyone else is dropping regardless. Mm-hmm. Like, um, so I think... Well, I kind of agree with you. They do kind of mark them for death from, like, the beginning. They do. I agree with that. And I think that it's kind of, um, like, I watched that split happen, and I was kind of sad about it, because some part of me was like, but Michael could just be a vampire. And I think that's why I've connected it so much back to, like, having a younger experience with vampires where you wanted them to succeed and you wanted them to win and stuff like that, because that's how I felt a lot of this movie was this want for the vampires to win, even though there was no reason to want that. Yeah, no, I understand it there. You kind of get the feeling that they're not like, Oh, I don't know. I feel like David's pretty evil, but I don't feel like Marco was ever like, yes, malicious. I think he was a child that was bitten and now lives like this. Yeah, I think so too. And even David, as you find out, isn't like, which we're about to get to, so I don't know if I should spoil it. Let's just, let's just end it. We literally okay, have like one more scene to talk about, and then it's over. Kim, you've been going hard on this. Do you want me to take over, or do you want to end it? doesn't it? matter, whichever. I'm not partial to any. It, it's, it can go Aaron, ahead if you, you want go. to. I kind of have some things I like about the Revelation. I want to talk about some things from the Revelation, so I'll take it if you, if you mm-hmm. don't mind. Um... So now that David's dead, Michael is still in, like, his vampire form, which I I think this is what you were referring to earlier, Cam, where, like, the rules kind of get confusing. I was under the impression that Michael couldn't turn into, like, a full vampire and fly and fight the way they did without killing somebody. Yeah, it's kind of... Were you under that same thing? It's kind of hard to differentiate specifically what they mean between real and half-vampire when they kind of can technically do the same things. I think the only yeah. difference, I guess, is that they're not as tired because it's not even about strength because Michael's able to overpower David in the fight and kill him. So the whole idea of it being a strength different uh, difference between the two of them doesn't really stand anymore from that moment. Um, so I, I, it, I don't really understand at this point what the difference is. <laughs> Between a full, I guess it implies a full and half. The only difference is the half can be reversed and the full cannot. Like a full vampire yeah. cannot be reduced back into human, humanhood or humanness, and uh, a half one can. So I'm I'm assuming that's the only actual difference. But I'm gonna be honest, that's kind of lame. That's kind of lame of a differential between the two. So I kind of don't like yeah. that take. No, I I I I agree. It's a little funky. Um. I mean, it works for the plot, and by the time you're asking these questions, there's like five minutes left. Yeah. yeah. So it kind of <laughs> it kind of benefits that to like some degree. Um, but yeah, no, I'm glad to see. When you mentioned earlier, like, and the rules are kind of funky, I was like, yeah, because like, I don't understand how we did that at the end. But yeah, he's still in full vampire mode, and he doesn't want his, his brother or the frog brothers to see him, because the frog brothers are like, if you got pointy teeth, we're gonna stab you, like, yeah. flat yeah. out. There's some, there's some aggressive 14-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. 
uh, with like no remorse too. Yeah. Like I don't care if it was a monster. It'd be hard for me to like drive a sharp object through another child's chest. Like if, even if he was sleeping upside down as a vampire. Yes. It'd be it'd be it'd be a little traumatic. And I, they talk about as if they've killed vampires before, but I don't think mm-hmm. they have. No. They never they never specify if whether or not they have, but they talk as if they had. I think full on that was the first time. Yeah, <laughs> I think so too. Like that. Um, I love the Frog Brothers. I think they're super entertaining. Um, they're definitely a funnier element. And for whatever reason, I kept thinking that Corey Feldman's character, I think he's Edgar. Because I remember they're Edgar and, and Alan, right? Yes. Because it's like Edgar Allan Poe is kind of like the way I, I thought of it. Yeah. But Edgar is the one played by Corey Feldman who's in Friday the 13th Part mm-hmm. 4 and Grem- Gremlins. And he's like, I don't want to call him a horror actor because he was more of a child actor, but he happens to have a lot of horror things in his resume, but um, he talks in this super deep voice that's very clearly put on yeah. the entire movie. And I kept waiting for the moment when I first saw this movie for him to get scared and like cut into a normal voice, you know, like like he'd been putting it on the whole time. And it never goes there. And it's just kind of this ridiculous decision. That's kind of hilarious to me. But anyway, he <laughs> Michael's a still vampire. He doesn't want them to see him because he doesn't want him to get stabbed or whatever. And at this point, his mother and Max, Lucy and Max, come back from their date at Max's, Max's house. house. And they see, like, the carnage because the house that they live in now is now covered in blood. And there are literally bodies everywhere. And it's kind of a nightmare. So um, the mom comes in and immediately panics. Like, oh, what's going on? Like, you know, it looks like a war zone in here. And then Max goes up and starts investigating. And he looks at David's body. And he's realizing, and then he's kind of like, oh, this is my fault. Your boys and my boys fought. I know that's not an object quote, but whatever. And then it's revealed that that, um, he is the head vampire after all. His whole goal has been trying to get Michael and try uh, try to get Michael and Sam to be vampires. Therefore, making it easier for Lucy to become a vampire as well once her boys are already vampires so that his lost his boys his lost boys whatever you want to call them then the head vampires vampire boys would have a mother mm-hmm. kind of is like the ultimate motivation there um but like his cover's kind of blown at this point so he kind of takes sam hostage and reaches out his arm to be like lucy join me or i'm gonna kill your son basically you know michael tries to fight max but max you know basically throws him over his shoulder and it's like you know, fuck you I'm i'm basically dracula and I do say I, I do like Max a whole lot. I do like his, I, I do like his demeanor and like he's he's very nerdy. He's not very intimidating. It's not like their mom's dating like some ripped dude you know, or like some very attractive guy. He's just kind of a dork and kind of unassuming. And then when they decide that earlier that he's not the head vampire, you kind of are like yeah, I guess that would have been weird if he was. Like he's kind of dorky, mm-hmm. and so for it to come back and be him, I do. I do love that, and I think he's he's even when he, he gets his fangs, he's kind of intimidating. And so right as it seems like Lucy's about to give her hand and she's going to allow them all to be vampires, you hear Grandpa's truck's horn. It's been kind of iconic. He's been driving this truck with the cucaracha horn <laughs> to, his, uh, bo- to his booty calls throughout the entire uh, movie. So you hear it, and he crashes through the window. And he's always kind of had, like, wood on his truck. He's always been kind of full. At least that's how I interpreted it. Like, he that, that had been there for a while. 
or maybe he's trapped him on for this in particular, but he crashes through the wall and the stakes go flying well, and they kill Max. You see him put stakes in the ground a few scenes earlier before oh, you yeah. watch him like literally take giant stakes and put them in the ground and then he drives through them. Have you caught that, Kim? I'm um, sorry, what? Can you repeat that? That grandpa puts the giant stakes in the grounds. When they take the car earlier to go to the... Go to the, the vampire, vampire cl- like place. No. Yeah, he's planting big... Or if I did, I, yeah, I, I didn't, like... Well, I mean, towards the end, you kind of, you know, oh, what I want to jump, but there's, like, a revelation that Grandpa's not as, you know, uh, kooky as he lets yeah. himself believe. So I guess it was it was more yeah. about, yeah. I, I don't think that it were in, they're intentional as much as he was having giant stakes intended for the fence he was building on the mm-hmm. truck already. Or at least that's how I choose to, yeah. to interpret that. I don't think he was making anti-vampire ones. Well, oh. he also is suspicious of Max earlier. You see he's he like hides from him. watching Max and he's hiding from him because he, he seems to know. So I don't know. It's hard to interpret. He's kind of an enigma. But he comes through with his truck and the, the big wooden stakes he has fly off of the truck and they kill Max. Um, Max goes into the fireplace and explodes and it's this big set piece where they blow up the main house set and everyone's coughing and hugging and realizing that Star, Michael, and Laddie are no longer half vampires and they're gonna be okay, they're gonna be back to normal. And then Grandpa stumbles to the fridge, grabs his root beer out of the fridge and says, that's the one thing I could never stomach about Santa Carla Mm -hmm. all the damn vampires. And then (laughs) yeah and i love that like that is my favorite part of the movie honestly it's just like how he just says that he's known the whole time (laughs) you know he's well aware of the vampires and everything and it just cuts the black (laughs) ends and i fucking love it um one thing i want to say before i forget is there is a scene when max is first introduced that he shows up to not when he's first it's like his second appearance but he shows up to michael sam and uh lucy's house to have dinner and he goes oh is it okay that i'm that the guest is seeing the food before the dinner and she goes you're confusing that with seeing the bride before the wedding and he goes oh i get those mixed up all the time and for him a bride and a meal mm-hmm. would be mixed up all the time <laughs> would be mixed up and i think it's such a good line that i only noticed this of this watch and i just i saw that line and i just fucking grinned ear to ear like, it's so good it's Sounds so really good funny. um and i wanted to bring that up but i didn't want i've wanted to say it the whole goddamn podcast but i didn't want to say it until we had said at the end yeah officially max was the head vampire but um yeah i mean but pretty much all we've explained from when the vampire started dying probably in the last 25 minutes is like the last 15 minutes of this movie um the movie's an hour and 40 minutes and i don't think they kill the first vampire not including marco earlier but like in the house until like i think it was the hour and 22 minute mm-hmm. mark or something so and it's it's incredibly gory at the end there and it's just it's so different but i really enjoyed that ending bit and i love the last little twist that it was max all along and all of that i i like the ending of this movie a whole lot yeah it's supposed <laughs> yeah. to be something you don't really like know that it's max because they kind of rule him out early on um, when they're doing their test, but there's a reason that didn't work, which Max <laughs> Max oh, talks yes, thank about. Thank you, thank you. So please, please go ahead because I I should have said so that. So during that scene beforehand, when Max first comes over, 
Um, he meets Michael at the door and, you know, tries to shake his hand. And Michael being moody, not just because he's a teenager, but also because he's turning into a vampire. Um, it yeah. doesn't really speak to him much. And is just like, oh, so you're Max. And Max says this line of, well, you're the man of the house. Is it okay that I come inside? And uh, Michael phrases it very <laughs> dumbly. He says, yeah, you're invited. Go ahead. So he lets him in. So during the scene later on at the end of the film, when Max is finally revealed to be the head vampire, um, Sam kind of is confused as to why, you know, they weren't able to figure out. And he lets them know that the moment that you invite a vampire into someone's house or into your residence, um, it renders, I think the way he phrases it is it renders one powerless over that vampire. So because he was invited in, all his weaknesses can't be used against him by the people that, like, live or own that house. Which doesn't make a whole lot of sense in comparison to how vampire lore typically is, but for the sake of the movie and for the sake of us kind of knocking Max off as one of the suspicious characters and focusing more on David, the more obvious villain, um, I guess it works for its own plot. But, yeah, that's that's the reason why that doesn't work early on. And it's a whole comical scene, but now we're like, oh my god, that's crazy. Max is a bit more cunning than his nerdy demeanor kind of lets on. Yeah, absolutely. And he's the one pulling all the strings this whole time, so that's pretty interesting as well. Um, that he's kind of commanding yeah. David to turn Michael and Sam. And, you know, I guess poor David didn't really have much of a choice. But also, he kind of did. He enjoyed his time, so... <laughs> He was having fun with Michael. I will die on that hill. Then he and Michael had something else. I will die on that hill. It, it also kind of explains why David's like, I don't want to kill you, Michael. You know? Yeah. He's like, I don't want to kill you. I Stop fighting me. Just join us. And I think it's because Max is probably like, listen, if you kill my girlfriend's son, she's going to be pissed. Yeah, she's not going to want to marry she's, me. She's not going to sleep with me if her <laughs> son's dead, so... <laughs> so don't do that. Just turn him. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think it, it adds more to that, too, because there are definitely parts where it was like, oh, wow, why would Michael be the one they want to join them? When yeah. Just eat fucking other people regardless. And I honestly, like, in some part of my brain, I'm like, oh, because he kind of dresses like them. <laughs> you know I mean? Like, he kind of, he's like, he's like around their age and kind of fits in with their group. So, like, maybe that's why he's converting them. But I think in hindsight, it's definitely more under orders than just like, ooh, this guy is kind of hot. Yeah, or for Star <laughs> also. Like the whole, oh, we want you to be Star's first kill also doesn't really, didn't really make sense back when that's what Star believed it to be. But now it was for the sake of hiding the true, you know, reasoning for Michael being kind of the one that gets indoctrinated to david's gang it's because david has orders specifically for that so it, it is very much I, like a plot twist a mini mini small little plot twist that isn't I super like super great but you know it, it's it's yeah. interesting at the same time though star could have been like you know what i am gonna eat this guy and the whole plan would have been yeah <laughs> <laughs> they had to bet on her wanting to sleep with him more than she wanted to eat him yeah, yeah. She'd have to have more character for that to be a thing, first of all. She just, I don't <laughs> even really know why she exists in this, you know, movie, to be honest. She's just kind of there, but... Um, she doesn't have to. I, 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 Yeah, it's it's interesting. I think they gave her Laddie 
as the one reason she wouldn't want to become a vampire. <laughs> yeah. Because otherwise, it's like, why wouldn't she just eat the fuck out of somebody and be immortal? You know, yeah. she doesn't seem to have, like, attachments to anybody, but because she doesn't want to see her, like, five-year-old brother go through that, yeah. it kind of, like, gives her a reason to want to stay human, I guess. Yeah, she's just kind of boring i mean i've seen people discuss you know her role in the movie and whether it was you know this whole fight between the whole freedom thing of you know wanting to be who you are in a sexuality lens when it comes to you know david and michael and then star kind of being like default heterosexuality and you know that whole thing and i mean i think i like kind of was a podcast or something that i read i think that talked about it a bit more but um it's an interesting take in terms of what what role she plays and what was the intention with her character because originally star was going to be a boy when they had first been in the development for the screenplay when they were going to make them like young kids star was going to be a boy um but mm. aging them up and adding you know sex appeal and whatnot to the movie I'm not quite sure if the director decided to add in a woman just for the sake of having sex, like a sex scene, I guess, um, or some kind of heteronormative relationship at the forefront of the sexiness. But we all know it's not about Star and Michael. It's David and Michael. We know their endgame, and they should have been together, <laughs> and I will die on that hill. Do you think it would have been weird to have a movie with so much like weird sexual themes and not have a sex scene in it? I kind of think that might have been the reason behind it too. No. Because it's like, you can't... No, you don't think so? I think that the sex scene was completely pointless. I get what you're saying though. Like, sex and vampires have always been something that's been intertwined. Maybe... I wouldn't say always, let's be honest. Not always. But more so in in movie, in cinema, it has been sort of intertwined. And in literature, it's been more implied. Um, like Bram Stoker's Dracula, the text itself is very sexual, but very, very, like you have to read between the lines, sexual um, for the most part. And also very gay if you read through the lines as well. And I think the movie does or movie adaptions do the same thing where because there's so much sexual tension it's kind of impossible not to have actual sex scenes in it and i think this movie as well it's not that i have a problem with the sex scene i mean keep it in that's fine it's a, it's an it's an okay scene i just feel like it was just done so abruptly it, it didn't feel like it was a natural occurrence it was more like oh my god michael yeah oh my god star i'm uh, what's going on and then they start making out and then they have sex yeah. and it's kind of like it's in the middle of what's a chaotic situation for michael but yet he decides to just have sex instead even the fact that star and michael haven't had that much tension together as love interests the way that they kind of come together is just they lock eyes he follows her around she says like two things to him and that's about it that's the extent of the relationship building. I feel like if they were going to be the main characters of this, there should have been a bit more, maybe not romance, but I guess tension between the two of them. Because I'm going to be honest, there's no chemistry between their characters. They could no, literally be no. strangers at the end of the day. They don't really speak they, to each other much. 
besides when they fuck, I don't think they spend more than 10 minutes alone. No. Exactly. It's just a girl that he finds attractive. And that's that's fine. But if you're going to be having a scene like this and you want it to have the reaction that it does in a movie that is so sexualized, fine. But you need to do a bit more work in terms of making these characters mesh well together. Like, this is why I think a lot of people see more chemistry and connection between David and Michael because there is more interaction and there is a lot more tension between these two characters and their development together and Star is just kind of someone who lacks all interaction with either of these two characters like in the beginning Star is kind of implied to be like Michael's girl for a hot second but it, nothing ever comes from that like they Did you don't mean even girl? Did you mean David's girl? Yeah, yeah, I'm sorry. David's girl. See, even their names yes, get yes, mixed yes. together. That's that's how <laughs> in tune we are with each other. Or I feel yeah, they're in tune with I, each I, other. I yeah, she's kind of implied to be David's girl in the beginning, and that doesn't... That's just, like, not a thing by the end and mid-movie. So it's kind of like, what is she doing here? So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I do think this movie should and can have a sex ending that was perfectly fine. I just think the way they went about it just didn't seem you know, cohesive with everything else going on. Also, yeah. Michael is just a, a stupid person in this movie. He's so, yeah. so dumb. Um, yeah. yeah, he he's just, he's not a great character. TBH, his brother Sam, just most of the heavy lifting in this movie. Mm-hmm. And he's not a ph- phenomenal actress either. <laughs> actor either. He's, he's like... He's inter- he has way more, but he's so goofy in a lot of his portrayals. <laughs> yeah, I kind of like I that, though. So. It makes him more endearing. Sam, right? I think Sam's very endearing. Yeah, yeah. Because he is a kid, you know, he wants to be a goofy kid, and he's very, like... I- I'm-, I'm assuming they wanted to kind of harp on the adolescent, you know, in contrast to his older brother, who is, you know, more dark and edgy and grungy, and again, with the whole sexual nature of what's going on throughout the rest of the film i think they just wanted a sharp contrast to his younger brother who was still very childlike which i mean, i find kind of endearing but it is very goofy it is very goofy acting and goofy dialogue but it's, it's kind of funny yeah <laughs> yeah i agree i agree he's, he's, he's endearing but he'll make you roll your eyes yeah. yeah it is very cheesy in a lot of portions of it like like i said it's an 80s movie like if you watch 80s movies and whether it's a john hughes movie or like you know weird oh, science or anything like that they are very um it, it is very big on cheese and even if you look at movies like fright night even which is also a vampire movie in 85 i believe um not as cheesy but it does have some cheesy moments so you kind of got to yeah. you kind of have to love the 80s in order to really like the vibe of this movie i'm not going to lie plot wise it's pretty okay but it's it's the 80s vibe that kind of gets me with this movie i'm surprised you like so much of the cheese in this movie or like even if it's your your not your favorite parts of the movie the fact that you like were cool with even some of it because there's like an early scene where they rip the roof off of the yeah. car like the vampire yeah. bats do and they go at it and it looks straight out of creep show with, yeah like, the lighting and like and i was in heaven <laughs> if they weren't vampires i, I probably would have hated this i'm not gonna lie like like i said i'm very biased in this where i mean you can call it my hypocrisy in terms of you know what i always claim is like good versus bad but i am very biased in this because if, if it's vampires i'm gonna fuck with it regardless of whether it's like premium shit or like low budget shit if it's vampires i'm gonna fuck with it to some degree i'm not saying this is like the best vampire movie in the world or that i've ever seen 
but to me it, it very much um does a lot for what I like and it's very geared to what to things that I find interesting and that's 80s and vampires and together I'm like perfect combination you're into it <laughs> yeah I fuck with it <laughs> clearly I picked this movie <laughs> I made you guys watch yeah. it <laughs> no and like I I enjoyed this movie a whole lot I do think that it's certainly like not my genre but it's not my genre in a way that I still really enjoy it like it's really easy for me to get bored and like something with this kind of subject matter for so long in the beginning it would be so easy to tune out but i think it's entertaining the whole way through it doesn't really speak to me in a way that i'm like fuck yeah until like the last 15 minutes <laughs> or the last i would say when marco dies which is like probably about like the half hour remaining port uh, portion that's when it really really appeals to mm-hmm. me um but overall i can't say that like i didn't like the first portion it's it's almost more of like i would have liked the movie regardless if it kept that same tone the whole way but just seeing that shit in the last 15 minutes makes me be like oh fuck that's what we could have had (laughs) yeah yeah you could you could have been this gory the whole time like it's almost more of like oh man i wish there was more of that less so than wow this part was so much better than the first part um but no, I'm I'm a I'm a big fan. I, I I really like the Lost Boys. I think that it's 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 brevity, you know, it could mm-hmm. be only like an hour and thirty five minutes also really works to its benefit. If this was a two hour movie, I think I would be speaking very differently about it right now. But no, I, I, I like it all the way around. Um I just I wish there was more of the cool gore at the end. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um I'm really interested to hear a lot of what AJ has to say about this, though, because I feel like you and I have been talking about this for so long, but I'm curious to see how she feels. I mean, I think that I kind of, I don't know. I like this movie. It's definitely, it's not my favorite, though. Um, It's definitely a movie that I, like, enjoy, and it has a lot of, a little bit of the elements that I like, but it doesn't have, like, I think I fall closer to what Aaron likes and more in the campy world where it doesn't quite fulfill that interest for me um it has a bit of it and I liked the end but and it keeps me interested like I was interested the whole film but it isn't something that like I'm deeply like oh I want to watch again right this moment or I want to watch again in general (laughs) I guess Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of where like it lands. It lands in this place of like I like it, but I don't love it, and it's not something that I'm like dying to see again. Versus like Scream, I'll watch any moment that you ask me to watch it. Um, so, um, so that's kind of where I land. I mean, vampires are close and dear to my heart, and um, I think that this did a good way, like a good version of them. But it wasn't, like, my favorite version of them, and they're obviously not the same nostalgia level that I feel about other vampire movies. Yeah, I think that's I think that's totally fair. It was really interesting to me that you went into this movie not even knowing it was a vampire movie. I didn't. I had no idea. I saw, I thought maybe Lost Boys, I had a little bit of the, like, ooh, Lost Boys is, like, Neverland and Peter Pan and Immortality. And I thought maybe, like, there'll be a group of boys who are just kind of a little bit, like, lost and don't have like a leader or whatever or just have like this one man as leader which totally happened um so i had a little bit like of guessing because of the title but um i didn't know that it was about vampires do you know what i just realized i can title 
I can reuse a title for a podcast so we could have two podcasts called AJ Doesn't Know About the Vampires. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that's going to be the name of this one, I'll tell you right now. <laughs> I like the Conjuring episode that's named AJ Has Seen This One? Question <laughs> mark. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that's what it was, right? That was like the main yeah. thing. You're like, I've seen this, I think. I don't know. I think I've seen it. I've seen it. Have I? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, is there anything else we want to... I'm good. End on. I'm sure. I'm sure Kim usually has some final thoughts that are fantastic. Do you want to do final thoughts then? Uh, we already yeah, did final through. thoughts. I thought. I think no, but I know Kim didn't get to. Yes, Kim, it's Kim's, Kim's final thoughts here. term. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you, I mean, if you don't want me to, I won't do it. Do Do you want me? No, to... we want you to. No, we want you to. We do. Okay. Um, so obviously, obviously I talk a lot about this movie because I really like it. And like I've already kind of said over and over and over again, this is definitely my shit. Like I, I love this movie and I show this movie to as many people as possible because I really like it. And I don't care if people don't like it because I do. (laughs) And that's all I give a shit about. But you know, this movie for all it is, you know, outside of it itself, it was also a pretty important movie. Not necessarily just in the genre, but also, you know, what was going on during the 80s when it was released. I think it's important to note that it was released in the 80s during a very high rise of, you know, conservatism and Reagan, it was the Reagan era in the 80s. So this movie kind of tended to go into that direction that kind of broke through the traditional value-esque kind of rise in how movies were being built. Um, following this era and throughout this era. I think there's like a joke that, oh my God, I think Sam says it about like the Brady Bunch, but with vampires. I'm paraphrasing, of course. Yes. But it very much... No, that's the line. <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> it it very much is a sort of, you know, fuck you to the normalism and the conventionalism that was kind of brought about during this time period. And, you know, when we get more into, obviously I don't have time, but into the building of relationships and how families were portrayed in this movie versus how the nuclear family was kind of being built and pushed during the 80s, I think this movie does a lot to kind of reject conventionalism. And I think, you know, obviously I tend to read a little bit more into certain movies and I think I might be doing it in this movie. But I think there's a lot of ground to stand on when it comes to saying how this movie rejects a lot of what was going on, not just politically, but also socially in terms of what was expected. When we look at this movie having a single mom, raising two boys, um, rebellion of teenagehood amongst things like uh, rock and roll, piercing sex, I think it very much is a reflection of the society of the 80s, especially being young in the 80s. And I think, you know, the excess that we kind of talked about that vampires tend to have, whether it's money, whether it's riches, whether it's beauty, I think this movie tends to kind of gear towards more excess, not in decadence, but in freedom and youthfulness. Mm -hmm. And I think having that kind of take on youth and being free and being young being the only thing that really is favorable when it comes to being immortal in this context not necessarily being rich or being beautiful but more so having the freedom to do whatever you want and party all night and listen to music and ride motorcycle with your friends and i think that is kind of the appeal that this kind of gives and the reason why 
I think this movie does it so well and why it does it in the first place is because it is very much a reflection of the antithesis of that within the rise of conservatism in the 80s. And that's not shade towards conservatives or anything. That's just a reflection of what was going on in the mid to late 80s um, during the Reagan era. So I'm not getting political. That's just what I believe to be a reflection I'll, of you know that what? era. Fuck Reagan. You know what? I'll, I'll, I'll throw shade yeah, at the, no, at the conservatives Reagan. real quick. Well, well okay. I don't, I don't want it to become a... It's not a political speak. <laughs> I'm just saying that that is okay, what this movie kind of exists the... as. And I think this movie does yes. a really good job of playing that key factor. <laughs> and that's why I think it's so interesting to see when it was released and what is going on in society and politics as a response this movie kind of does this as a response i guess is what i'm saying so i'm, I'm not trying to get political because i don't think this okay. is the no, place that know, i want to be sure. no no i respect no, know, that you know. don't want to be political but i will be fuck reagan he's yeah awful. no i'm okay ronald reagan the actor <laughs> yes <laughs> and the president <laughs> both trash Okay. I also think it's important to note <laughs> because I don't want to get into this. I, I also think it's important to note that during the eighties we did see the AIDS epidemic, really a big, yes. you know, tragic epidemic that happened during this time period. And having a movie like this, and granted this wasn't the only movie released in the eighties, Fright Night I did mention, eighty five also dealt with vampires. But I think this I'm a big Fright Night fan, by the way. Hmm? I'm very pro Fright Night, by the way. It's very goofy. Like, yeah, Fright Night's, you are. Fright Night's on my list. Yeah, I bet. It's, it's... <laughs> oh, the shade. Holy it it shit. is pretty goofy. Um, but yeah, Fright Night is is another movie that's also a vampire movie released in '85. But I think this movie does it a bit more provocative in the sense that you know during the time period when AIDS was at its highest peak, there wasn't much knowledge about AIDS, so it was very much intertwined with sexuality and sex. And I think this movie also dealing with blood in a very intimate way, but also having the heavy overtones of sex and um, sexuality, as we've talked about the subtext of queerness and gayness in this movie, I think that makes this kind of even better and also very risky to have this movie come out and kind of do so well in the box office. And obviously, I'm not saying that this was intentional. I'm just saying now in hindsight, when we can look at the bigger picture and not just look at the movie in and of itself, but also how it exists in a bigger sphere of the time period, I think this movie stands to be even better and even cooler knowing that sort of background in that context. So that's another reason why I really like this movie. Um, but I think my favorite thing, now gearing away from all the fucking political, nerdy, whatever shit... I love the way the fucking vampires look like. I think that's one of my favorite characterizations, physical feature-wise, of how they look. Really ugly, with like bulgy foreheads, and like, it's just really fucking cool. And like I said, Buffy did it in 97, and it kind of becomes yeah. another thing that many movies they, kind of take on moving forward. I was gonna say, they look like Buffy vampires, mm -hmm. and they also they also look like the less extreme cases of From Dust Till Dawn. Exactly. Like, yeah. Very clearly, when like not when they're full on lizard people at the end, clearly, <laughs> but like the basic look of like the early transformation of a From Dust Till Dawn is almost identical to. It's it's like a theme. Yeah, and I think you know, I mean, this is gonna be my personal take, but I I don't necessarily think vampires have to tie in with romanticness or anything like that. I don't think we have to romance the character of a vampire. I personally am a hit or miss with those kind of things. But I, I do think sexuality and the allure and the appeal of the creature vampire 
is kind of what I like about this movie. Like I said, it is very much like Peter Pan-esque, but just with like leather, leather and like bleach and motorcycles. And it gives it a more grungier appeal. It's not necessarily like Anne Rice-esque. If you've ever watched the movie or read the books, it's not necessarily something like that. It's not archaic and empty. And it's not like Bram Stoker's Dracula, where it's a bit more otherizing and creature-like. I think it exists in its own various plane, where this vampire is now still, in a way, human-esque. But its appeal is in its sexuality and its danger in that sexuality. And I think that's pretty powerful. And that's why I think vampires exist, not just... You know, in like the 1800s when we see Bram Stoker, but even now to this day, the amount of shows and movies and books that are still written on this character, I think is a testament to how important and how interesting the character can be when it is transformed into different lenses. Um, and yeah, so I really fucking love vampires. But at the end of the day, this movie does a lot of really cool things. Is the plot really great? Mm, no, it's kind of, in my opinion, the plot's not the strongest point of the movie. Is the acting great? I would say it's okay considering it's an 80s movie and some of these actors are either kind of beginning their career or kind of, you know, they were child actors and they're midway in their career. But I would say acting's pretty well. Cinematography, 10 out of 10. I think the lighting in this movie is beautiful. The shots are intentional. And I think everything about how this movie is shot is incredible and I think should get a bit more attention. Um, prosthetics, wonderful. I think they did a really good job with the gore, as well as the facial makeup. Um, of course, the director, once again, sorry, Joel Schumacher. I will, <laughs> I will pay for that to the end of my days. I apologize. <laughs> hey, I, did a really I, great I job. I just, I just, I wanted to correct you early. That's all. I yeah, no, thank you, like, thank you, thank I, you. I wasn't you. like, get it right, Kim. No, I was just like, thank hey, you. Before we start, I think we're going to say Schumacher a lot. Like, I want to... <laughs> but yeah, this is very much a movie that is very ingrained in the 80s-esque. So if that is your vibe, this is a movie definitely that you will enjoy. If you're... Not to shit on it, but if you're coming here because you like Twilight, this is not going to be the movie for you and for <laughs> right now. This isn't a romantic exactly. plot. And that's the reason that AJ doesn't like it. This isn't a romantic plot. This is not a love <laughs> story in the sense that you are going to see a vampire fall in love with a human that's kind of lame. This isn't the plot this movie goes for. This very much is just a reflection of dark versus light. And I think this movie does a really good job of putting the vampire in what it should be. Just a sort of sexual predator. No, I don't want to say it like that. But a sexualized sexual character <laughs> who is also a predator. <laughs> and a, a creature and a monster, but still retaining its humanness. So I think just... this movie is very much um, my dividing line between what I find interesting as a vampire, but not getting to, like, vanilla aka twilight i think that's kind of boring if you like true blood in vanilla if you like true blood or buffy the vampire slayer i think you really will enjoy this movie um but if you're more of like i would say like a vampire diaries fan or twilight fan this might not be the movie for you and that's okay you know this movie has a lot of things that some people will like and other things that other people won't like but this is definitely not a romantic movie you're here for the 80s vibe to the rock and roll and for just the overall appeal of what an 80s movie will give you. And that's cheesiness. And the gay undertones. And the, the gay, gay undertones. undertones. And Kiefer Sutherland. Because that man, <laughs> 10 out of 10, I will love him to the day that I die. Kiefer Sutherland you know, is a highlight of this movie. 
you come to this movie for the same reason you come to this podcast for the gay undertones <laughs> facts facts nothing but gay and queer undertones and for some people this movie was one of the first movies where you kind of can see some queer subtext in it so i think that's also really important to note um this movie obviously has been around for a while and if that is like this is a movie that you know brings nostalgia in that sense i think that's really great for me it's the mummy for some people it might be this one um, and either way, I think this movie serves as a really good testimony to the 80s and a testimony to just vampire lore in general. So this movie, in my opinion, is a 10 out of 10. But again, if none of this is appealing to you, this might not be the movie for you, but that's okay. I would still suggest checking it out because I fucking love this movie. <laughs> so yeah, that's just kind of my final review. And I guess persuasion to watch the movie. Yes. <laughs> Not just listen to this podcast, but watch the fucking movie. All right. <laughs> I think uh, uh, I, I don't have much more to add. I think it's all been said. Me too. Well, um, thanks for listening. Make sure to join us next week. I think we're going to start a new a cinematic universe that I've been excited to get into. And we're going to watch Despicable Me. Yes. In preparation to eventually get to the Avengers Endgame crossover that is the Minions movie. Yes. Um, but until then, I've been Aaron. I've been AJ. I'm Kim. And, uh, I love you, I guess. Bye. <laughs>